This is Jocko Podcast number 251 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. And also joining us tonight is my brother Leif Babin from Podcast 11, first guest ever on the podcast, 34, 65, 114, and 138. And obviously Leif was in task unit bruiser as the Charlie Platoon commander in the Battle of Ramadi. We wrote Extreme Ownership, we wrote The Dichotomy of Leadership together, and we have a leadership consultancy called Echelon Front. And I, at one point in my life, gave him the book that I've been reviewing for the last couple episodes that I wrote the new forward to. The book is called About Face. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that, but then we're going somewhere else. Leif, thanks for coming back on, man. Thanks last for time me. you were on was 2018. 14 August 2018. The, the world has changed drastically since then. That's 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 kind of crazy. It's crazy that as much as I see you, we just didn't coordinate for another podcast in over two years. That's uh, I, apparently. Uh, Did you say everything you had to say on the first five? <laughs> apparently so. <laughs> that's just the way it is. Uh, you were telling me about about face in the Battle of Ramadi. Me kind of saying, "Hey, check this out. Check out this. Check out this section. What were you thinking?" I'm reading you about like the South Vietnamese Army and how corrupt they were, or whatever. Like all these different examples. Yeah, I mean, just I, I thought it was so awesome that this new, you know, the, this new book with the, the new Ford written by you, you know, for About Face, the, the new the new version of it that's out with the new Ford. And uh, I, I remember distinctly coming back from operations in in Ramadi multiple times, probably at least four or five different times I could remember where I'd like walk into uh, the, the your office in the tackle operations center at the Camp Margley and you'd say, hey, listen to this. And I was like, okay. And you bust out the book. You'd open it up to like a highlighted section, read the section. And it was mind blowing because it was just like, it was written about the operation that I was just on like an hour ago. And instead it was written 40 years before about Vietnam. Uh, and, and it was, it was pretty, pretty eerie. And that was, it had, I never realized all the influences until later when you gave me a copy of the book, um, which is the one thing that you gave to me and you gave to Seth Stone, the Del Platoon Commander, when we, when we finished Tasking the Bruiser, we came home. I still have that book. It's dated, you know, January 2007. We'd just been home for two months at that point. But uh, now going through that book, I realized like where you got, the, you know, renaming Tasking the Bruiser, uh, you know, all those things. Like there's so many things that came from that. So it's, it had so much influence on you and through you on me and and everybody in Tasking a Bruiser and then every generation afterward. That's crazy. Uh, now, in that book, in the book about face, there's two quotes that always bothered me. Here's the first one. Men in battle, men will do in battle what they have been in the habit of doing in training. General Bruce Clark, one of the U.S. Army's greatest training generals, had written in his then recently published Guidelines for the Leader and Commander. So that's the first quote that bothered me. The second quote that bothered me was this quote. The troops responded well to hard, hands-on, repetitive, but still interesting work. They may not have wanted to go to Vietnam, 
but they sure as hell didn't want to die there, so they even flocked to off-duty classes like Rakondo. Meanwhile, I established the requirement that all officers and NCOs in the battalion read and carry on their person General Bruce Clark's guidelines for the leader and commander. As far as I was concerned, the finest little handbook on leadership and training ever written and adopt as their own philosophy the one that I'd learned from a 5 by 7 card, which I still had, issued to me in Clark's 7th Army in Germany, which stated, an organization does well only those things the boss checks, end quote. So why did those two quotes bother me? They didn't bother me because I didn't agree with them, obviously. They bothered me because I could never find this specific book called Guidelines for the Leader and Commander. And I always searched for it. I would look for, and you know, these days you can pretty much find anything online, especially like a lot of the old manuals that I read, old army manuals, un, you know, they've been out of print for a long time, but you can go find a PDF. Somebody uploaded it. This thing has been nowhere forever. And here I was learning from this book that Colonel Hackworth wrote, but I could never find the book that Hackworth learned from. And that did not make me happy. So, so who was this guy, General Bruce Clark? Bruce Clark. He was in World War I, World War II Korea. He enlisted in 1917, ended up going to West Point. Hope you don't hold that against him, Life. Good to go. <laughs> I, uh, I turned down my appointment to West Point, but uh, it's, a, it's a great place. You got into Proud both, huh? Army School. Look at you, overachiever! <laughs> I, I had to go. To the, I had to go to the seal. The seal route, man. You, that was the goal. You, 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 that's a rough gamble, right? It was a rough gamble, and it paid. It was a very poor gamble when I graduated, <laughs> and I didn't get selected for the seal program. I can tell you, I was like, I should have gone to West Point. I'd be in the army. Um, you know, I'd have all those opportunities in front of me. But that is the that is the that is the worst luck that the it happens that the SEAL teams is in the Navy and if you don't if you want to be a SEAL and you don't make it into the SEAL teams, you're in the Navy because you probably don't want to have the type of job that a regular Navy dude has if you want to be in the SEAL teams. Would you concur? Uh, definitely. I mean if you if you want to be in the SEAL teams, that means you want to be shooting a machine gun and running around in the streets or the jungle or whatever. You don't want to be on a ship you know, working in an engine room or, or you know, driving a ship standing or bridge watch, standing bridge watch yeah. or whatever. And those are cool jobs too. For different people like different jobs. But those are two almost totally different types of jobs. Whereas, hey, if you tried for special forces and you didn't make it, you'd still be an infantry guy and that's still the similar thing. But you just rolled the dice big time. I did, but it, uh, it worked out. And, you know, you got to trust. In fact, had I gotten selected for the SEAL program right out of the academy in 1998 when I graduated, I'd have never been a task and bruiser. I would have not been Charlie Platoon Commander. I would have done my OIC probably at least a year or two or three prior to that, as as a lot of the guys who were my my same year group. Um, So, you know, that's... uh, the good Lord has a plan, and you got to just trust in that plan. And uh, it, had I actually not had I gotten selected for Marine Corps, I obviously never had a chance to be in the SEAL teams either. So, um, look, West Point's an awesome school, man. I, it was a really, really agonizing decision for me because I got I got picked up for West Point in uh, in in like it was like probably January, February of my senior year, and then I got, I found out I got I got an appointment, so I accepted it, and then I didn't find out until like April that I got into the Navy. So. 
it was uh you know it was it was a it was a big gamble for sure but hey man it's a it's an awesome uh obviously there's a great rivalry between west point yeah. and and you know army and navy everybody knows the football games and but uh i am one of the the things we're most proud of obviously in tasking Bruiser was being the the one one ad army seals <laughs> as they call this and uh so good on general clark one thing that that i just wanted to say when you read that quote i'm fascinated you know uh, to, to to listen to this as well because i have used that quote an organization does well only those things the boss checks probably a thousand times mm -hmm. since teaching the junior officer training course up through what we do now with Echelon Front. And I did not realize it came out of this book. I was gonna say, don't you usually I, attribute it to Hackworth? I was attributed to Hackworth, yeah. yeah. I think I just misremembered that. He, he, he obviously was giving credit yeah. to General Clark and I clearly did not <laughs> remember that. And I've yeah. not done that right. Yeah, uh, so he went to West Point, so enlisted World War One. went to West Point, World War Two. commanded the 4th Armored Division in Patton's, Patton's Third Army. Battle of Aracourt, Battle of the Bulge, Distinguished Service Cross, and three Silver Stars. Also in Korea. Ended up with 45 or so years of service. Uh, not only leading troops, but also he oversaw a bunch of training schools and training commands. Died in 1988 at age 86. And I wanted this book. I searched for this book for years. I, I wrote an email to the publisher. This publisher still exists. I'm gonna call him out right now because I'm sure someone will, will reach out to him. I think it's Stackpole Books. They still exist. And we've covered other books of theirs on this podcast because they, they print a lot of military type books. I think The Clay Pigeons of St. Lowe, we covered that on this podcast and a few others that are in the queue. I reached out to him and sent him an email. Hey, I'm looking for this book. I see that you used to publish it. Nothing, never heard, nothing back. Um, and then, you know, like you said, the Lord works in mysterious ways. The about face, the new the new version comes out. And I search on, on Amazon once a month. I'll search and see it. Because they, they would have this book. They'd have it listed in there. That's how I knew the publisher was. But they would have it in there and not available, not available, not available. For years, it's been not available. It popped up. It says available one copy. $300, bro, $300. <laughs> this is, and I'm, I'm only holding a photocopy right now. It was $300. This thing is 117 pages. It's like, uh, I don't know, six by 11, or it's small. It's this little book. It showed up in a little tiny envelope. I was super stoked. And um, as you might imagine, like you said, it's filled with lessons, filled with the obvious roots of Hackworth's theories around training and leadership, which I stole, as you already rightfully accused me of stealing many things from Hackworth, as I fully admit all the time, uh, that I stole, I used, passed on to everyone I could, still try and pass on. Still try and pass on at about phase, still trying to pass on what we do at Echelon Front, try and pass on these lessons. So You know what, I don't think you can actually use the word steal, because they're freely given. Yeah. In the same way that like, when people are like, hey, do you mind if we like, talk about extreme ownership with our team. We're like, no, <laughs> I, I actually don't mind. In fact, that's what we wrote the book for. That's why Hack, I'm sure that's why Hack wrote the About Face. And I'm sure, obviously that's why General Clark wrote what he wrote. So um, it's not stealing, it's freely given. And I think, uh, the, as we, we have often said, like we didn't learn anything new. We just, we just maybe package it a little bit differently. Yeah. You know, or use a different term than maybe others use. It's always good when, um, it's pretty common for, you know, me to do a, a an initial client call with a company, 
and they'll be, you know, give me a brief on their company and they're like, oh, our company values are blah, 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 extreme ownership. <laughs> and they're like, hey, we hope you don't mind. We're like, exact same thing. I say, you can't steal what's free. So, uh, and I, I try and give Hackworth credit. Yeah. But I guess you're right. Can't steal what's free. But what we can do is we can take it and we can try and pass it on. So without further ado, I present to you at long last, guidelines for the leader and commander. There's, I'll have to show it to you uh, later. There's a little, there's a little signature. I don't have it in the photocopy. There's a, it's written. There's a little, you know, somebody gave it to someone. Someone gave it to like the command sergeant major or something like that. All right, so here we go. Dedicated to the ground combat soldier. The paramount concern of the army is the ground combat soldier. He is the focal point of all our efforts, organizing, equipping, training, sustaining, and supporting him so that he can perform his indispensable role in combat is the army role. The role is equally significant in any kind of war, hot or cold. It is just as important in general war as it is in limited war. For our nation to entertain any notion to the contrary would be dangerous. The danger could be social as well as military. More than any other category of personnel in the armed forces, the ground combat soldier comes from the general populace. He is the private citizen under arms, the clenched fist of his people. I think, I think I'm just rolling with that from now on. <laughs> that is uh, the greatest description of a combat. Yes, of a combat soldier I've ever heard in my life. The clenched I, fist of the people. Why? Why is this the first time I'm hearing this? That's the one thing I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm just remiss about. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Me too. We could have. Uh, we could have put that up as like a poster for tasking a bruiser. You know, I think. I think. Uh, I used, and you may have heard me use this. In fact, I know you did. Uh, the sword of destruction. Uh, I use that to describe sort of what our methodology was, especially in cleaning out insurgents and how, hey, everyone wants to be, everyone wants to make friends and, and win the hearts and minds and that's all definitely important, but that really comes, and this is, <laughs> this is when I would use this line that, that would come after the sword of destruction has been wielded on the insurgents or the bad guys. I think the fist of the people is better. <laughs> We're going with the it. The clenched fist. The clenched fist of the people. Back to the book. It is by no idle chance in the history of mankind that the course of democracy parallels the importance accorded to the ground combat soldier in the military forces of nations. It is no exaggeration to say that the basic freedoms we now enjoy are closely related to his ascending importance on the battlefields since the Battle of Crecy. Nor is it an exaggeration, in my opinion, to say that the preservation of those freedoms will continue to be oriented by his place in the sun. Only when men from all of the people are willing and ready to fight and die for freedom does freedom have meaning for them. Only then does democracy thrive. That is the inexorable lesson of history. These are important things to be reading right around this time in the world. Because what percentage of of the populace actually is in the military, 1%. So there's not a lot of people 
that seem to step up and be ready and willing. And what does that mean? That means they don't understand what the price is, don't understand what the cost is. And what he's saying here is freedom's only safe when there's people that are, when there's all people. He's saying all people, by the way. All people have to be ready and willing. It's heavy. Well, you also have to think about his perspective, though, right? I mean, I, I think in America today, obviously, we've been at war for a long time since 9-11. And, but there really, there isn't an existential threat in the way that would, he was living with World War One. You've got this expanding empire. Now World War II, you've got, you've got the, the Japanese and Germans. I mean, there, there's, the world was truly at stake. And, uh, and it was everybody, all hands on deck, even those that couldn't serve, who weren't medically qualified or whatever, like, they're they're you know they're they're doing uh, uh, everything from blood drives to you know uh, collecting tires all that kind of stuff is going on back here bond drives you know Liberty Gardens yeah uh, you know the the Rosie the Riveter I yeah. mean ladies out there turning wrenches and building planes and tanks and all that stuff so I, I think that was I, I mean our country hasn't experienced that probably since since World War Two but I think living through that probably gave him unique perspective. This also ties in, continuing on, beguiled by the mechanical marvels of an age, it is easy for people to forget the true character of the ground combat soldiers in war. When free men have been so beguiled in the past, they have slipped back into slavery. For the ability of the ground combat soldier to play his part in the social scheme of things depends upon the part he has given in the military scheme of things. Again, we, we, we can very easily think about the fact that, you know, this war is a technical thing and you don't have to, you don't have to put boots on the ground and that whole idea that technology can eliminate war. And uh, you and I were talking the other day that there's, there's some people that, Hey, God bless them. They have a positive attitude that we as a species can evolve to a point where, you know, we don't have war anymore. And that's a very positive thought. I think we would all agree that that would be a great thing. It's probably highly unrealistic because there's always going to be somebody, no matter how nice you are, there's always going to be somebody that's going to try and Take a couple extra dollars from you, Echo Charles. Yes, sir. You're gonna have to defend yourself. I understand. Even if you're super nice. Yes. You might have to fight. I understand. I don't think you, you can't study history and, and believe that we're on some greater trajectory and mankind is above war or conflict or, or evil or darkness. And it's uh, the thing I love most about this podcast is reminding people of the darkness. You can't appreciate the light if you don't know the darkness. And uh, and I think that's. That's the most powerful thing. And I think only if you experience what General Clark has experienced, do you, do you fully get and understand that? I, I answered a question on the podcast a long time ago. A guy said, you know, you keep talking about training jujitsu, but I don't even like to fight. Why should I train jujitsu? And I said, if you don't like to fight, you are actually the premier person that needs to train jujitsu. And if you don't like war and you don't want to go to war, then you should train and prepare and be ready to go to war. And then hopefully you won't have to. And if you do, it'll be swift. The other thing that that uh, quote reminds me of is that we get asked, how often do we get asked about, you know, t talk about some training or bud story, you know, from the SEAL basic training program. And we don't even talk about that stuff because I think people, 
I mean, the, the, I, I'm trying to explain to people that the, 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 the physical nature of combat operations is so much more, you know, more difficult than anything in training. And then, then the emotional, you know, I was going to say back to that as the well. physical, yes, but the mental and emotional isn't even a comparable thing, right? Like it's not a comparable thing to say, well, you know, I was really wet and cold during SEAL training compared to I was waiting to suck start an IED 17 nights in a row, <laughs> you know, like that's definitely more mental stress than, hey, you're gonna have to go hit the surf again, who cares? No question about that, but what I'm, t- I'm talking about, the physical nature of it. So we're, we're talking about the ground combat soldier oh, okay. here, and this is, you know, it, I, I'm thinking about, you know, one of our SEALs, I mean, you, you certainly know him well, was one of my most awesome guys in Charlie Platoon, Super, just a physical, you know, stud, awesome dude who's like going down with heat exhaustion and like can't can't continue forward. And I'm having like, give me your machine gun, take my, you know, my rifle, my M4. We gotta move, man. We can't stay here. We're gonna get, we're gonna get hammered. And we knew we were gonna get, we we're gonna get uh, ambushed at any second. So it was uh, just the, the physical nature of that. Like I can't physically continue because I'm carrying, you know, 80 pounds of gear on this patrol and it's 117 degrees right now and and i got a little behind the hydration curve uh because we've been out here for 48 hours doing this kind of stuff and i'm going down with heat exhaustion Mm -hmm. you know so i think that's something that people when you're talking about technology and riding in vehicles or flying an aircraft or shooting missiles and there's there's just no getting around the the guys carrying a rucksack you know a heavy rucksack with gear and going on foot, and I, you, Ramadi was unique like that for us because if you drove into those areas, you were going to get blowed up. And uh, it was it was a good reminder of the physical nature of, uh, of of war. And I think you know what he's talking about with the the ground combat soldier is is exactly right. It's just it's just savage. Like it's just you know when you whenever you put on. You know, like at the beginning of land warfare training, and you haven't put on a rucksack in whatever two months because you were coming back from deployment, and then you go on leave and whatever, and you get out to the desert warfare training facility, and you put your gear on for the first time, and you're like, yeah, the first, it's one of those things where the first like twenty minutes, you're just thinking this completely sucks, and then it just sucks so bad that the suck kind of numbs out, but it's just savage. It's just. It just, it's just a constant level of pain. And no, no matter how good of shape you thought you were, I mean, that guy I was just talking about was in awesome shape. He was a great, you know, physical specimen, like awesome dude, trained hard all the time. One of the best SEALs I know. Uh, I mean, it happened to me. I remember Johnny Kim, us patrolling into position. Johnny Kim was like, you know, he was our corpsman. He was like, hey, uh, Leif, you doing okay? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like uh, I don't know, man. You know, he's, he's, I was like super pale, and he, he could see that I was, uh, and I, I just, I, w- I was dehydrated, and we're already smoked. We've been up for twenty four hours, so he like gave me an IV, and you know, to just help me, help me recuperate. It's, and we were in good shape. I mean, we trained hard. We were already acclimatized. It's just, it was, it was hard. It was physically difficult. All those emotional things are absolutely yeah, the case, true. but it was a, phys- it was physically hard, um, and probably the best. Dave Burke talks about this too. Good deal, Dave. Good deal, Dave Burke. Um, running with a pallet of water between where you, you were back at Cop Falcon, we were in a cyber overwatch position like 300 yards down the street. 
carrying uh, on a on an Israeli stretcher with like pallets of water and MREs, which probably you know probably weighed like two hundred pounds, mm-hmm. and running as fast as we could with that in all our combat gear for three hundred yards. Dave Dave Burke was just he, he was like hey uh, we're like let's go and we're just running. And uh, it was it was awesome. I did a delivery run to you guys down there. You did, yeah. yeah you brought some water too because yeah. we were just we were just baking on the rooftop. God. Nothing to yeah. Nothing that's, to like even just that, even just sitting there baking on a rooftop for three days, just just getting dehydrated. It's everything sucks. As to quote to quote Tony, everything sucks. Everything sucks. BTF nothing Tony. worse. <laughs> <laughs> all right, back to the book. It will be a sorry day for all mankind in this supersonic nuclear age of ours should the ground combat soldier ever be deprived of his rightful place in the hearts and minds and military forces of his people. In our efforts to avert this danger, A one-army attitude must pervade all ranks. The ground combat soldier is not a guardsman, nor a regular, nor a reservist, nor a selectee. He is simply the American fighting man on the one-army team. I appeal to every member of the team, civilian and military, to give his cause the enthusiastic support merited by its vital importance to our country. Bruce C. Clark, General, U.S. Army. There's the intro. We're already off to a good start. I'm uh, the next copy that's up for 300 bucks. I'm buying it. I got to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm sure Stackpole will will reach out, but if they don't, I'm just going to publish this thing. Jocko Publishing Publishing is coming in hot with the PDF. (sighs) Publishers forward. These guidelines were written by a leader and commander out of the wealth of experience gained by him in leading and commanding troops from a squad to an army group. These guidelines were prepared for the benefit of the of other leaders and commanders in the US Army in order that they in turn may make use of his counsel and experience. So as you said, he wrote this for us. General Bruce C. Clark has probably had more command duty at more command levels than any other officer in the U.S. Army, living or dead. He served more than 40 years in all grades from private to four-star general. Known as the most effective trainer of modern times in the U.S. Army as well as an outstanding combat commander, General Clark here specifies the methods he has used with outstanding success in management, training, in soldier management, and in leadership and generalship. What do you think? Not exactly a lightweight? Not exactly a lightweight. (laughs) And there's a picture in here. It says the ground combat soldier, the focal point of all our efforts. You know what's cool? Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, as you're you're saying that, you know, I'm I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about my experience in Ramadi and, you know, our combat experience, three deployments to Iraq is just absolutely nothing compared to what, Someone who fought in World War One, World War Two, and Korea. I mean, it's it's just it just. I'm so humble when I read about people's experiences and, and realize, oh, I, I if I think I I thought I thought I saw some combat and oh that was significant for the Iraq War. It's like man, it's absolutely nothing. All the even the physical hardships I'm describing, just pale in comparison, you know, to to battles and and just what what General Clark experienced and so many have experienced throughout the yeah the ages. We often uh, joke about the fact that 
just what we experienced compared to what these guys went through. When we had Dean Ladd on the podcast, who got gut shot rolling into Tarawa 500 yards from the beach, there's no possible way he should survive that. And by the way, what was really crazy is that was like he did, after he got done with that, he had already done one of the other islands. He goes into Tarawa, gets gut shot, Two of the Marines disobey all orders and actually grab him and bring him back to a boat. He gets somehow miraculously saved. He goes back to Hawaii, and then six months later, he's back going on another island campaign. It's like, oh, you got gut shot? But you survived. It's cool. You're in, you're in the game. Yeah. America, what? <laughs> all right, chapter one. Part one is leadership and command. Chapter one, command responsibilities. Introduction. When an individual assumes command of a unit, large or small, he steps into one of the most interesting and the most challenging assignments a member of the armed forces can have. Here is a job into which a man can sink his teeth. Here is a job where initiative, originality, hard work, fidelity, and human understanding can pay off in the richest dividends. This chapter includes many matters that are connected with the ability of the commander to train his unit. So it's interesting, what uh, extreme ownership, we close out by saying this is the most challenging endeavor a human can, leadership is the most challenging endeavor a human faces and therefore the most rewarding. I swear we didn't steal that from him, (laughs) even though he just said the exact same thing, even though he wrote a lot earlier than us. You know what? You know what it is, though. Like it, as when we talk, we talk with leaders all the time, and they say, "Hey, we're already doing a lot of these things you're talking about," and uh, and what the the reason for that is because there's what works and there's what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, no matter what you call it, you know, we, we gave a little framework around extreme ownership, the laws of combat. But uh, if you if you're in a leadership position, you're gonna uh, you're gonna figure out what actually works and. That makes me think about this. You talk about psychology a lot, and, and not not in like psychological terms, and you know, like clinical terms, but in like how, trying to get people to do what you need them to do to accomplish a mission win. And I, that's exactly it. Human nature. It took me I don't know how many podcasts must have been around. I don't know, but at some point I said, "Yeah, this is a podcast about human nature." Really, that's what it's about. It's about human nature, and where human nature is most revealed is in war or in atrocities or human suffering or human struggle that's when that's when human nature is revealed and you know we had this conversation and I don't know when but I remember telling you and Stoner and being like hey look when we go on deployment people are going to go crazy and look I didn't mean hey these people are going to but you know when you talk about senior leaders or you know, people are going to start feeling pressure and people do crazy things. And I saw that from my first deployment to Iraq where I was, I was thinking, wait a second, this is just like, people are going crazy. So that's something that happens. It's, it's just human nature is revealed. And if you're, if you're, let's say you're nervous about things, let's say you're a nervous type of person, you're, 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 you're scared of something. What, what's that going to do in combat? It's just going to get worse. Let's say you're worried about things. What's going to happen in combat? You're going to be even more worried. Let's say you have a tendency to f- focus on things that don't really matter. You're going to do that even more in combat. It's like everything, you're just, your human nature gets exposed. The, to quote uh, you, it's <laughs> combat is life amplified and intensified. True. And I true. think that's, 
That's a hundred percent true. That's a hundred percent true. And it's like, it's like that friend that, uh, that tells you like they go crazy when they drink <laughs> and you're like, no, you're actually just, when you drink, you, you actually are crazy and you're able to keep it contained <laughs> until you put the alcohol in you. Um, <laughs> No, you actually are crazy, <laughs> and it just comes out. Yes, very similar. Uh, here we go, back to the book. So you want a command. How often have we heard an officer say, I'd do anything to get a command? Have you ever wondered if he really meant it? Have you ever wondered if he really would make a good commander? We have often heard the expression, a good commander is born, not made. This is interesting. So he's saying, Hey, we often hear a good commander is born, not made. You know how nowadays they say, you know, actually anyone can be a leader. I shouldn't say it in such a, a, a sarcastic voice. People say, look, anyone can be a leader. You can learn. Uh, what I talked about in leadership strategy and tactics is it's both. Like you're going to get some natural qualities for sure. Some other things you're going to have to work in. So he says, we often he- heard the expression a good commander is born, not made. And He says, this is not entirely true. By exercising certain principles, the vast majority of officers can become good commanders. There you go. He agrees with me. (laughs) Let us see if considering the following 20 questions will provide us with some guidelines. If the answers to these questions are yes, the potential commander statement is sincere and he should fight to get it and should be given a command. He will never have an assignment that will give him greater satisfaction or one that will enable him to contribute more to the army and to our country. So here's the 20 questions. Is the officer seeking command duty willing to devote all hours of day and night, seven days a week to his command? Is his wife willing to take an active role in helping to make a happy army community in their unit area? Is his family willing to be secondary, if necessary, to the company, battalion, group, regiment, combat command, brigade, or division? I'm so glad he wrote that because I still have people that will call me out because I'll say, hey, when I was in the teams, the teams came first. The teams were more important than my family. And I'm sorry, but you have to take care of your guys. You have to. You mean when you would say things like, uh, I'm going to go home and see this woman and these kids that live at my house? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. And just for the record, Jocko was... Jago's a loving husband and an awesome dad, uh, but we knew that was a joke. It was pretty funny. Uh, Is he willing to learn, teach, stress, and live with the fundamentals necessary to make his unit good and believe his great talents for bigger things are not to be wasted? Does he like to be with young people? Can he live with their energy, points of view, and problems they create? Is he willing to take the hard knocks that come from carrying the responsibilities for the failures of his subordinates? Do we get to pass these things on, Echo Charles? I don't think so. No, we don't. Sounds a little like extreme ownership. (laughs) It certainly does. Can he juggle at the same time all the balls of training, maintenance, test, administration, inspections, property, communications, messes, supplies, athletics, marksmanship, discipline, and public relations without dropping any of them? Prioritize and execute. Is he able to do many things concurrently rather than being a consecutive doer? Can he manage a complex job? 
Can he receive and carry out orders? Can he follow orders as well as give them? So number eight there, is he able to do many things concurrently rather than being a consecutive doer? Opposite of prioritize and execute. It's like, I'm gonna, I need to be able to do multiple things at once. Here's what's interesting. I highlighted that and I started, I was thinking about it as I read through the rest of the book, he starts to go into a, a delineation and a bifurcation between, between the title of the book, leader and commander. And what he starts talking about is when you're a leader, squad leader, platoon leader, at company, it changes to commander. And now what you have to do is realize that you've gotta, you've gotta be able to task people to do things, right? You gotta be able to delegate. And so as a, as a leader, it's like prioritize and execute. As a commander, yes, you're gonna prioritize and execute, but you're gonna prioritize, delegate, and then have other people doing multiple things at the same time. I mean, when we would go on an operation, for example, did we say, okay, right now we're only gonna set security. We're not gonna do sensitive site exploitation. We're not gonna do a search right now. We're only gonna set security. No, we set security. Then we start uh, interrogating prisoners. We start searching. We start organizing. There's multiple things that you're doing at the same time. So that's different than, hey, we've got, we've got, we're getting attacked with multiple problems right now. We need to focus on the biggest problem. And it also starts to lean into talking about delegation and how, and you know, I've always said, even when I explain prioritize and execute, I say these words. Once you've got that, prob- that first problem solved or you've got it going in the right direction, then you can move on to the next problem. So if I, look, if we're getting a contact from the South and I go, Leif, take your platoon, go, go start knocking those guys out. I don't even worry about you anymore. I'm good. Like I might check in with you five minutes later to make sure you're good. But meanwhile, what am I doing? I'm saying, Seth, all right, continue the assault on this building, right? It's not like I'm saying, everyone, Seth, everyone online. No, if you can handle it, you handle it. Another way I used to explain this is, let's say you're building a building and you've got to get one of the rooms electrical done because they're going to put drywall in that room today. And you've got, 10 electricians on site and the room is small. Does that mean you take all 10 of your electricians and you pack them into that room and put them all to work? No, because it's there. you don't need that many. You need four guys in there. That's the fastest and most efficient you can get it done. So you take those four guys, you put them in that room, you take the other six guys and they can start doing something else. You don't just say, that's the number one priority. Everyone just sit in there and do nothing. Four guys do it and everyone else watch them. No, you, you, you handle the problem, you get it moving in the right direction, then you move on to the next you, then you can take the remaining resources and apply them to the next thing. That, that makes me think about target fixation, which is what we talk about with extreme motor, with with uh, prioritize and execute. Which it's really easy. Like this is the priority. You get so focused on that. But I mean, the example you just gave, like Leif, take your platoon and take hit that target to the south, and then Seth, you continue the assault. Like you wouldn't even say Seth continue the assault because he's gonna he's gonna yeah. do it. And yeah. and you talk about how. Your greatest goal was to go out on operations and not say anything. Um, and I used to think that like, that was like, I wanted to be the leader, like the, you know, John Wayne Sands of Iwo Jima with my helmet on sideways and my gun at high port as my finger is pointing, you know, like the, the plastic army man yeah. with a finger pointing and his, the leader with his, his, uh, his gun at high port pointing at the sky. And 
I, I so many times Ramani in the middle of a big gunfight where you're like, I'm not seeing anything at all. My my team's doing what they need to do. The fire team leaders are running their guys. The squad leaders are running their guys. The, the leading petty officers doing his thing. The chiefs doing his thing. I can think two steps ahead. Um, so I mean, that's you have to be able to do that. That's decentralized command. And when you got a team that's running that, then you can you can handle. 12 or 15 problems at the same time because each of the teams is doing their thing. I was talking to a client today and uh, he was talking to me about how he sometimes has meetings. Uh, He'll have eight blocked meetings in a day or 10 that he has to go to. And he gets done. He's like, yeah, I know I got this meeting, this meeting. And I had him pull up his calendar and he's talking me through each one of these meetings. And I said, um, What's wrong with you? <laughs> like, what is wrong with you that every, like, each one of your teams needs to talk to you every single day? That's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. That's not decentralized command. That is centralized command. So you aren't giving the people the right direction. They're not hearing what you're saying. They don't have the guidelines. You haven't given them the trust. You've been an easy, but there's a, there's a bunch of reasons why it could be happening, but it shouldn't be happening. You shouldn't have to attend those meetings all day long, every day, because that's not decentralized command. It's not efficient. What happens if you aren't in those meetings? Well, the guys won't know what to do. Okay, well, there's your problem. Give them the guidance and let them run. And if you're down in the weeds trying to solve those problems, which is what you're doing in the meetings, then you can't, who's actually taking a step back? I mean, that's, you know, when you wrote in that, the decentralized command chapter in Extreme Ownership that... I mean, we, we, that would have been a horrible blue-on-blue situation that happened if you were down in the weeds trying to tell, you know, Stone or uh, Seth Stone how to run his platoon, you know? Um, that's just the way it is. So I, I think that's your job as the leader should be to take a step back and think strategically the, the next step, the next step after that. And you can if you're down in the weeds making, making things happen. And, but you can also see where people need help. And you could step in temporarily when you take a step back and you got teams actually handling those problems, which you did all the time as a ground force commander. When you're like, come over, you'd walk in the house after we call target security, walk in the house, what's going on? Check in with me. I'd give you a quick update on what's going on. You'd, you'd kind of, then you'd move to kind of where you were needed, you know, where, where people might need more resources or, hey, we need some more guys outside. You know, can, we, can you guys spare a fire team? Or, hey, we need more guys in the house. Let's bring a fire team in you know, or whatever it may be. Yep, yep, got to do that. Um, continuing down this list, can he receive and carry out orders? Can he follow orders as well as give them? Hmm. Can he stand tough competition from like units and still retain a spirit of cooperation and teamwork with him? Enemies outside the wire. Is he physically and emotionally fit to carry the load? That's what you and I just talked about. I talked about the mental side. You talked about the physical side. They're both freaking grueling. Does he have the courage to make and stand by tough decisions? Are he and his family willing to live in a goldfish bowl where their actions are closely observed by both subordinate and superior? Is he still enthusiastic and cheerful when confronted with seemingly impossible tasks to perform with inadequate means? Is he willing to leave a warm office to check and supervise training, maintenance, and many other activities of his unit? Is he willing to take responsibility himself and correct the situation rather than blame it on the staff of a higher headquarters or on a subordinate when things go wrong in his unit? 
man, we owe this guy some money. <laughs> That's pretty phenomenal. I, I, you know what? It's so humbling to hear that too. And it also doesn't, he's capturing the burden of leadership so well, you know, by obviously someone who's been and lived it, you know, on, in, at a multitude of levels. And I think so often we talk to like frontline troopers or frontline, you know, leaders are like, if I was in the senior ranks, man, everything would be great. And they don't fully understand the burden of leadership. And that's, that's a tough thing. Not, a, not everybody can do that. And there are a lot of people that don't want that. Uh, and I think once they get there, they realize like, maybe that ain't for me. Next, is he willing to do the best with what he has, even though what he has seems inadequate? Is he confident he can produce a superior unit with the usual run of manpower? Can he inspire personnel to produce outstanding accomplishments? Is he willing to take a chance on being relieved for attaining only mediocre results? Does he really want command rather than just to get command on his record? And I just realized he's got like a lot of these 20 questions. There's like three or four questions in each one. He snuck some in on us. But what a what a great what a great outline just to just to check yourself and see where you're at. See how in the game you are. Next, what does the soldier expect from his commander? Having dealt with the prerequisites of command, so that's what we just did, I offer these thoughts on what soldiers look for in their commanders regardless of branch of service. Honest, just, and fair treatment. Men admire a strict officer if he is also just. An officer who tries to be a good fellow loses his grip early. An officer cannot be expected to know everything. He cannot bluff his men and retain their respect. (laughs) When he does not know, he should say so and then find and announce the answer. Like, we're la- I'm laughing as I'm reading this. You're laughing as I'm reading this. This is like straight out of leadership strategy and tactics. Um, just it's it's crazy to to sit here and read this. You ask that question all the time. Like, who's got it all figured out? Who has all the answers? Nobody. So why would you even try to pretend like you do? People, are, you know. And then we we get that question from leaders. They're like, well, they'll lose respect for me. You know, if I if I act like I I've got to pretend like I know it all. I'm like, no, everyone knows you don't know it all. So, so they they know you don't know, and if you're pretending, they're losing respect for you. If you can actually admit you don't know, uh, and take ownership, then uh, of a mistake or whatever it happened, then obviously their respect is going up. I'll tell you another tricky situation that that this offers some insight into, and it's not it doesn't offer a definite answer, but I've seen leaders backed into a corner where you know Leif screws something up. And whatever the mitigating circumstances were, you know, I say, you know what though, Leif, it, I gotta punish him. You know, Leif, uh, Leif didn't finish the project on time, I'm writing him up. I told him I was gonna write him up, I'm gonna write him up and you know, you come to me and say, hey boss, I get it, it's my fault, here's some mistakes that I made. And I go, yep, doesn't matter, I'm writing you up. And I feel like I'm gonna lose respect of people if I don't like drop the hammer on you. And the fact of the matter is, you don't if you're re, if you're a reasonable human being and you under you you listen to the mitigating circumstance of a situation and say you know what I really hope that this doesn't happen again Leif there's no possible way if this happens again I'm going to let you off the hook but you came to me with a plan on how you're going to fix these things don't ever let it happen again 
your respect for me doesn't go down. People don't think, oh, Jocko's weak. They think, hmm, we got a boss that's gonna take care of our people. Now look, if you have somebody that's just out of, you know, does something totally off the wall, of course. Punishment must be dealt out. But it's not weak to be reasonable. I guess that sums it up. Speaking of punishment, a commander should administer punishment in an impersonal way and to a degree that fits the circumstances and the offense. When a man pays his debt, the commander should fit, forget the incident. You got to keep that thing in mind, though. Like, you might have a repeat offender. You know, you got, I get it, bro. I, I get you, General Clark. But that one, you know. No, you know what? I, I think what he's saying there, what, what I interpret that as is, is what you talk about in the first chapter of extreme ownership, this horrible blue on blue situation that was tragic, that was terrible. Um, and the, you know, our commanding officers coming to, to, you know, find out what happened. And we think, okay, man, they're probably gonna fire someone for this. And there's a lot at stake. And then you talk about by taking ownership, by implementing a plan to make sure that never happened again, the boss actually, his trust increased in you rather than decreased. So, I mean, I, I think when people take ownership and they implement a solution to make sure that you see, hey, they're fixing that problem, you are gaining trust in them, yeah. even if something bad happens. So it's not that you're, it's not that you're forgetting about it, but you're you're certainly like you're not holding it against. Yeah, someone, and I think know? that's the key thing. Isn't yeah, it's not the literal term forget, but you know, I'm not going to look at you and go, well, you know, I don't know, Leif. Last time you didn't quite do what I needed you to do. No, it's like, hey, you. I, you, you you made your mistake. We figured out what the punishment was going to be. You did your time for your crime. We're going to move on, and I'm not going to hold it over your head. That being said, you know I'm paying attention, <laughs> making sure you're not a repeat offender. Courage. Every man experiences fear in a crisis. The commander cannot show it. He must fortify himself by learning to control his emotions. <laughs> this is crazy to read. Consideration. Do them so this is again this is all under the topic what does the soldier expect from his commander consideration do them as mature professional soldiers regardless of age or grade soldiers should be treated as mature individuals they are men engaged in an honorable profession and deserve to be treated as such military courtesies start between officers observation of these courtesies between seniors and subordinates is not belittling to either they are evidences of the alertness pride and good manners of your men the commander's rank should be used to serve his subordinates. It is not a reward and is not a license to exercise idiosyncrasies. Rank has one object, to enable the officer to fulfill his responsibilities. Subordinates expect the commander to play his part according to his position. They do not begrudge him his rank if he uses them, if he uses it in the interest of his subordinates and superiors. So if you're using your rank in the interest of your troops, we're good. If you're using it for yourself, we got an issue, we got a problem. You know, that part about uh, the professional, these are professionals, Mm -hmm. treat them like professionals. It reminds me of of our experience in Ramadi, working alongside U.S. soldiers and Marines, and something you always said about these guys are true professionals. They they are they are awesome professional warriors that we were privileged and honored to work alongside. And it was interesting how there are some special operators that did not treat them that way because they felt like oh they were special and they went through some you know specialized training and they were part of a specialized unit and they had better gear whatever, and uh, and and how like 
they created all this bad blood just by not treating people professionally. And, and it was, you know, I, I just remember, you know, meeting some of those young Marines and soldiers when we first arrived there and they just, you know, they, they were looking at us like, oh man, the, the seals are here. And they'd look at our short barreled little rifles and our cool gear. And uh, we had better night vision, all this, all this, this stuff. And I'm, I'm looking back at these, these young privates thinking, man, these guys have fired more rounds of their weapons. And all of us put together in the entire task unit are ever going to fire in our entire careers in, in the SEAL teams. Uh, I mean, that's how much combat they were seeing. And it was just what an honor and privilege to be. I mean, they were, they were absolute professionals. And uh, it, that served us well by treating them accordingly. Yeah. It's like one of those little golden rules. <laughs> Why, why is this so hard? Treat people with respect. Treat people with respect. That's it. Treat people with respect. Personal interest taken in them as individuals. Again, what does a soldier expect from his commander? Personal interest taken in them as individuals. A good officer will know the names, background, and individual characteristics of his men. He must have a genuine personal interest in them or they will not have it in him. Each individual has problems. There is no easy way of getting a grip on men than by helping them solve their personal problems that give them great concern. An officer should not, however, be too familiar with his men. Good soldiers do not expect it and usually resent it. It is not necessary to call soldiers by their first names even if the officer sleeps in the same foxhole with them. Close but not too close as we like to say. Uh, the, The dichotomy of leadership. Yeah, you know the, the 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 expression, and I I I didn't ever hear anyone say this, and I started saying it a little while ago. I don't know if maybe I, maybe it's not gonna. I don't know. I'm not trying to take credit for something, um, but you know you know the term that we'd say in the teams, which was take care of your gear and your gear will take care of you, which is means hey, when you get done with a dive, you take your dive rig and you do the proper maintenance on it. When you get done with a parachute jump, you take your parachute and you do proper maintenance on it. When you get done with a firefight or an operation, you take your weapon and you do the proper maintenance on it. You take care of your gear and your gear will be there to take care of you. Same thing with people. You take care of your people and your people will take care of you. That's true. As you're saying that, I'm thinking about some of those text messages that uh, that you've sent Echo Charles. Yes, yeah. sir. Those things are going to become public, I think. Yeah. yeah. Might tell a different story in a, in a little way, but yeah, man. Why is it ho- so hard for people to respect people? <laughs> Just no respect <laughs> whatsoever. My text messages to Echo Charles, they do have a high level of disrespect. And this also brings yes, to the fact that I believe, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, I believe that I have a certain guard passing technique yes. that is called the disrespect Literally, yes. that I actually named because of you because I would use this guard pass and it's so disrespectful that yeah. you would um, yeah. you, you would feel disrespected. I know. Did you think of that name? No, you did. I, re- I remember very uh, vividly. Expand. So, I like this. <laughs> you don't have to. It's just very disrespectful. That's it. Yeah, I think that's a good question. You know, is it that hard to to be respectful? And apparently, it is sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah, man. There's, uh, there's a fine line between jest and, uh, and disrespect, <laughs> and maybe uh, maybe a little more of a gray area. Yeah, yeah you know, it gets blurry sometimes. Yes, right. sir. Find some good screenshots and. Uh, and let's post some some Jocko Echo texts. Mm-hmm. I think that'll be fun. Okay. 
Uh, Back to the book. There is nothing wrong today with the following instructions written by Baron von Steuben at Valley Forge and published in the continent, published by the Continental Congress. Instructions for the captain. A captain cannot be too careful of the company. A captain cannot be too careful of the company the state has committed to his charge. He must pay the greatest attention to the health of his men, their discipline, arms, accoutrements, ammunition, clothes, and necessaries. His first object should be to gain the love of his men by treating them with every possible kindness and humanity, inquiring into their complaints, and when well-founded, seeing them redressed. He should know every man of his company by name and character. He should often visit those who are sick, speak tenderly to them, see that the public provision, whether of medicine or diet, is duly administered, and procure them besides such comforts and conveniences as are in his power. The attachment that arises from this kind of attention to the sick and wounded is almost inconceivable. It will, moreover, by the means of preserving the lives of many valuable men. So there you go. What a what a what a incredible thing to be able to read. Instructions for a cap for a captain from Valley Forge. That's powerful, man. It's humbling as well too. I, I, I think about all of my shortcomings and how much I could have used that guidance directly, you know, prior to being chartered platoon commander, or you know, even now, like just reviewing that and thinking about it and. It, the, it, it captures, I think, like I said, the burden of leadership in a massive way uh, and all that's required of you, which is a lot. Everything, 100%, all the time. And if you take care of your men, your men are going to take care of you. And if you have this, if you have this inconceivable attachment, what that does is, is preserves lives. So when you are a tight unit, you know, I've, I've often said that, you know, the, the, the thing that makes a SEAL platoon strong is just the bonds that you have. Like, that's the, that's the difference. That's, what, that's what's going to that's gonna make the difference in any military unit, not just the SEAL. I mean, I can talk about the SEAL platoons because I've been in them, but any military unit. What is it that makes a really strong unit? It's how tight they are. And what makes people tight? You take care of them. That's it. It goes on, instructions for the lieutenant. He should endeavor to gain the love of his men by his attention to everything which may contribute to their health and and convenience. He should often visit them at different hours, inspect their manner of living, see that their provisions are good and well cooked, and as far as possible, oblige them to take their meals at regulated hours. He should pay attention to their complaints and when well-founded, endeavor to get them redressed, but discourage them from complaining on every frivolous occasion. So for the captain and for the lieutenant, what are you trying to do? You're trying to build relationships with your team. You're trying to take care of your people. And by the way, those are the instructions. Not one, that's it. Next, go. I, I was just gonna say, I think that's that's the most profound thing to me, you know, as, I, as you think, <laughs> Hey, if Hackworth is saying 
everyone, every officer should be required to read this. You would think it's going to be talking about tactics. You would think that how to set up, you know, your base of fire and your assault elements, or you know, how to how to position your your troops. And and it's not that at all. It's it's all about building relationships with your team. You know, what's required of you to actually be a leader. Um, it's uh, how you you know how you manage and lead, uh, and, and that's that's pretty phenomenal. And we, we you say that all the time. Something that we talk about often, which is. The hardest part of, of of combat leadership is is always the the human aspect, not the not the tactics. That's that's the easy part. Yeah, that that's you know when I wrote the forward for about face, you know, and he turned, you know, he turned against. He said, "Hey, we can't win this war if we keep fighting like this," and and you know they they asked him. Um, they asked Howard Tucker in that interview, that famous interview, you know. Um, he gets asked, "Could you, could you, could you become? Are you too emotional about the war in Vietnam?" And Hackward says, "One couldn't have spent the number of years I spent in Vietnam without becoming emotionally involved. One couldn't see the number of young studs die or terribly wounded without becoming emotionally involved. I have just seen the American nation spend so much of its wonderful, great young men in this country. I have seen our national wealth being drained away." I see the nation being split asunder and almost being uh, being split apart and almost being split asunder because of this war, and I'm wondering to what end it will lead to, end quote. You know, like, that's a guy that loved his troops. I can only imagine that burden, you know, with 58,000 dead in, in the Vietnam War, 58,000 U.S. troops killed, and... Uh, because even at the tiny fraction of that number, you know, that we've experienced in, in Afghanistan and Iraq, coming back from Iraq, when we came back from Ramadi, I think one of the hardest things for me, just after having lost Mark, Ryan was blind, Mikey, you know, we lost Mikey in Del Platoon, and a good friend of mine, who's hopefully gonna be on this podcast with you sometime, Elliot, uh, who was severely wounded, and he was uh, in Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, which is the, primary burn care facility for all of all of the US military and so I went and spent a bunch of time with him there and from December for you know really through much of like 2007 back there regularly and, and, and trying to trying to you know just help him and support him and his family wherever we could and just witnessing the those burn victims in there, you know, when, when IEDs that were causing, you know, the, the enemy's most valuable weapon and you're, you're walking into those, those ICU rooms and you're seeing young soldiers and Marines with no lips, no, no noses, no ears, just face, you know, faces burned off. It, it was uh, one of the most horrific things I've, I've ever had to experience. And then when I would hear people on the news talking about the war and pontificating about the blood and treasure that we'd spent and they had no inkling of, of just how deep and personal that was, you know. Um, and again, that's just a fraction in the Iraq War of what Hackworth experienced in, in Vietnam. I can only imagine, for, you know, for him and for every other Vietnam veteran out there um, what that was like. But there's, there's no way to not make that personal. Yeah, and you can see the root of that is, you know, it's the same root. Like you said earlier, these things that you uncover over time, 
you know if you take care if you if you love your troops that's going to be that's that's what it's about and hackworth knew that you know that i know that general clark knew that that's the way it is goes on here loyalty loyalty to superiors and subordinates is a basic requirement Criticism of a commander's superiors in front of subordinates lays him open to the same treatment. He should stand up for his men as he expects them to stand up for him. You can, you can, you can almost see Hackworth's life unfold, right? Like you can see that, that statement in everything that he did. An officer's presence when the conditions are unpleasant and when the going is tough Sharing the situation of the men means a great deal to them. Pick up the brass. The commander should act as a buffer between superiors and subordinates. He should protect his men from harassment that comes from above, but still get the job done. (laughs) Yeah, I know sometimes I would pull back the curtain for a few minutes and like show you what was happening above me in the chain of command on all different fronts. And look, everyone up above me in the chain of command doing their job, but it's, it's, it's pressure and it's, it's kind of maddening. And, and sometimes I would be asking you for something and you'd get pissed off about it. Well, you know, what the hell you need this for? And I'd say, come here for a minute. Let me t- why don't you take a look behind this curtain for 15 seconds. You look back there, see that sausage getting made, and say, okay, I'm good. I'll get you what you need. I'm out. Thank you. <laughs> now, you, you, did a, you always did a great job of screening uh, us from that. And, uh, but I think that was very valuable for me because it gave me a new perspective. I, I, you know, like, oh, they're asking us for this. You know, I'm getting mad about it. And then I realized like, how much you're actually screening out you know, of that harassment. Like, hey, I'm keeping these guys off your back so that you guys can go do what you need to do. Uh, next, that their needs be anticipated and met. A good soldier has needs, both spiritual and physical, and a commander should do everything possible to anticipate and meet those needs. At the same time, he should provide all the comforts and privileges practicable. This is not meant to imply that he should coddle his men or treat them as babies. Like, how beautiful is this dichotomy? Just when you think, oh, maybe he's a little off track here, maybe I'm a little bit, no. This does not mean to imply that he should coddle his men or treat them like babies. Such things as a hot meal when it is not expected, unit parties, liberal past privileges, and good recreational facilities are more more to the point. Next thing that the soldier expects from his commander to be kept informed and told the reason why. The commander should keep his men informed at all times, tell them the reasons behind decisions affecting them. Many jobs seem purposeless unless the facts behind them are known. He should continually take action to offset rumors and speculation by giving his men all the information he can. Yeah, we owe this guy money, dude. (laughs) We owe this guy money. You know what, though? You're probably... uh I mean, obviously, there's a direct influence, right, through David Hackworth, you know, in about face uh, from General Clark. I, I think you could go back to the Greek hoplites or the, you know, 
the Roman legions and probably find some centurion who's writing the same stuff. I mean, they're learning the same stuff. Yeah. It's some some different aspect, a different terminology, a little bit different, you know, a vastly different era, a millennia apart. But it's it's human nature, as we just said, hasn't changed. And uh, and I bet there would be something very similar. And, and just to make sure everyone realizes, we're not just talking about war. We are talking about leadership. We're talking about leadership in business. You need to tell your people what's going on and they need to understand why they're doing what they're doing. I'm talking about your family. They need to understand what's going on and they need to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Any, any situation where you're interacting with other human beings, these rules apply. And they apply to the point, why do we know that they work? Because they've been tested. We tested them, but these guys test them in even crazier conditions, harder conditions, in three freaking wars. And that's that's one of the most common things we're getting at Echelon Front these days is is questions about managing fa- the family schedule and how do I work from home with you know with so many people still working from home, you know it, it's uh, those are those are like a, a good bulk of the questions are about that and that directly applicable. Well, the other thing that's been interesting is when COVID hit, you know most of the companies that we work with are good companies that want to be awesome. We do get some companies that that come to us sometimes against their will, brought to us by the board or whatever, that we are going to fix them, help fix them. Most of the companies we work with are good companies that want to do better. When COVID hit, the, so these companies aren't companies that are struggling. These are companies that just want to do you know better. And so they would imp- implement the, the principles that we talk about, implement cover move, implement simple, prioritize next year, decentralized command, default aggressive, you know, extreme ownership. So they implement these things. And, and yes, they're absolutely start doing better. And we watch them and we get feedback from them and their profits go and they become more efficient and more effective and they start taking market share. Everything goes awesome. And it's cool. And everyone goes, hey, yeah, that's great. And we're super excited about it. When COVID hit and all of a sudden there was companies that were in dire situations and were able to utilize the principles to survive, yes, but also start to actually go on the attack and thrive, that was pretty epic. Because it basically was like, uh, have you ever, did you ever pull a reserve parachute? Never have. Yeah. I only did it one time and all the other times I'd be like, yeah, cool. Yeah. I'm glad I got a reserve on the time that I pulled it. I was like, this thing's <laughs> freaking awesome, bro. Thank you for packing this thing correctly. Case of beer to the rigor, you know, cause you, cause normally it's just like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's work, you know, it's on there. It's all good. And that's kind of what companies, you like, Hey, we're doing really good. Hey, our profits are up all these, all these positive things. But all of a sudden when they're faced with real hardships and challenges they're like well, what should we do here prioritize next year oh yeah or, okay or die or yeah. they no longer exist yeah. exactly hey what you know we've got this going we got all these people working at home what should we do this is decentralized command yeah we've been doing that well yeah now you need to do it harder you need to make sure everyone understands what the mission is what the goal is what the end state is you need to communicate with them they need to understand why they're doing what they're doing can, can you make that happen yes we can okay execute you know that makes me think there was a there was an educator remember on EF online uh, a few weeks ago as as they were about to go back to school you know in her in her state or her uh, her district um, and she was an educator and she was talking about how crazy it was and how much uncertainty it was and uh, and you said 
we didn't learn this stuff in a Boy Scout troop. You know how <laughs> this we learned this on the battlefield. Yes. It was crazy. It was chaotic. <laughs> there was a lot at stake. There was a lot of uncertainty about what was going to happen. Like what you need to do is prioritize yeah. and execute. That's where this came from. And I think I know it's getting yeah. crazy in that sixth grade classroom. <laughs> and I'm telling you, this is going to work. <laughs> and it did. And she came back yeah. and gave us a great uh, sit rep yeah. about how how it was. She was implementing that and moving forward and, and doing great. Legit. Next thing that the soldier requires is a well-thought-out program of training, work, and recreation. The commander should keep a balance between training and recreation. Too much of either becomes a drag on the men. Logical progression of training helps the helps keep the men from becoming confused. Um, yeah, this is exactly what we wrote about in Dichotomy Leadership. Train hard, but train smart. You can smoke people. You can crush them to the point where they're not getting any benefit anymore. Next, demands commensurate with capabilities, neither too great nor too small. A commander should not overload his men with unnecessary work. On the other hand, letting men become bored because they are not working enough is just as bad. Neither <laughs> men as individuals nor units should be expected to accomplish impossible tasks. What is that? What is he saying? You got to balance that dichotomy. It sounds like General Clark had the same experience with uh, his soldiers that. We always said like a bored team guy is like Oof. the most dangerous thing in the universe because they're gonna figure something out to go cause trouble or because just create mayhem because rock fights. That was when I was a young team guy. If there was if we weren't being told to do something like sitting around waiting for something, there was a rock fight happening. You know, all of a sudden someone just hits you in the leg with a rock from twenty yards, and it's a rock fight. Or uh, or actually. You, Actually, it wasn't rock fights. There was a couple of those, but mostly well, you're, it was. You're not talking about like tossing a pebble. You're no, talking I'm about, talking about like hucking. Getting... No, what it was, it wasn't rock fights. That's when I was a kid. When I was a kid, there was rock fights. And I don't know what you're even thinking when you're having rock fights. But we had we had BB gun wars. Yeah, we had we BB had gun shoot wars your, too. Shoot your buddy in the leg with your We had Daisy. the BB gun wars. If you got shot. <laughs> Red Rider BB gun. If you got shot, you had to take off one layer of clothing. By the way, zero eye pro. We were, like, it was just the dumbest thing ever. What's that? <laughs> I got hit in the face one time. I came home one time with my eye swollen so shut. And my dad was like, son, what happened to you? I got hit with a spear. We were having spear wars. There you go. Sharpened sticks throwing them at each other. And it hit me. I of mean, it missed, it missed my eye by like three millimeters. My dad was like, you're an idiot. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> anyway, rock fights. Oh, yeah, saying? not rock fights. Hucking rocks at objects. It'd be like, hey, who can hit that? So I guess it's similar to the pebble, but it'd be like, hey, who can hit that? lamp over there you know that street light or something we'll start saying they're hucking rocks at it speaking of board team guys and rock fights so my my first deployment before we worked together in testing and bruiser in 2004 so after your first deployment to iraq one of our super solid team guys you know in, in, in our platoon was throwing rocks through the window mm. of uh and got in all kinds of trouble because he damaged this smashed and shattered a window of of this like former saddam palace and they literally like like pulled an award for him. I mean, it was crazy. This this palace had uh, a J dam dropped in the middle of it. It was completely like <laughs> for some reason they got all upset that he like shattered yeah. the windows. It was What's crazy. a J dam? Uh, a giant bomb dropped <laughs> from the sky. It's a, it's a it's a it's a GPS guided bomb. Gotcha. You joint to, something ammunition. Joint direct. Attack munition, I yeah, believe. Yeah, I don't. We'll go with I don't it. know. We'll go. With I don't know. Have to ask where's, Good Deal where's, Dave. Where's Dave when you need him? <laughs> good Deal Dave. You know what? There weren't too many times at Tasking a Bruiser where we had 
word team guys because you always had us busy doing stuff. <laughs> but uh, the one time that we did let it go, um, the <laughs> Andrew Paul got volunteered to demonstrate the new tasers that we oh, got. Yeah, I remember that. And Chris Kyle tased him, and uh, everyone sat around filming it and laughing. Andrew said that was the worst experience of his entire life. <laughs> the cool so, thing, there was okay. a safety officer there that someone someone made, like we put out the jiu-jitsu mats. Cause this was, remember we do jiu-jitsu in the morning in the high bay there? And I forget, you know, I heard someone came like, hey Jocko, they're about to taste Andrew Paul. I'm like, up dude work, I'm like, all right, I better go and check. You were like ear, earmuffs. Did you go check it out? I don't. I don't even remember. It might have been one of those things where I was like, "All right, let the boys do what the boys are going to do." Maybe I just saw the video. Yeah, I think you probably saw the. I saw but the I, video, but, after. but I saw that there was a mat. They took our green. My, they were actually my mats. They took them, put them down underneath. So he fell face down on the freaking mat. Thankfully. Yeah, that's uh, board team guys. Bad. Didn't he say he was going to fight through it? <laughs> 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 I think so. Uh, he did not fight through it. Andrew Tall's a tough, tough dude, but that taser took him down. <laughs> All right, back to the book. Guidelines to orders. Give orders, this is ridiculous. Give orders in a manner which indicates you expect compliance. Do not issue orders you cannot enforce. Give clear, complete, correct orders and follow them up. I mean, the reason I said this is ridiculous is because it's just crazy that what the actual verbiage that we use when we brief is, you know, give simple, clear, concise guidance. And here they're saying clear, complete, correct. Only by long and careful training can the commander achieve perfection in giving orders. Ambiguity, vagueness, and incompleteness of orders are to blame for the mo- for most disobedience and failure to comply. Which is when I say, if your team isn't doing what you what you want them to do, the very first person you should check is yourself. And here it is. And yet, that's so hard for any of us to do, right? You get frustrated with the person for not doing what you wanted them to do, and. Instead of actually looking at yourself and saying, hey, okay, obviously I wasn't clear. I could have done a better job. The words of an order indicate what is to be done. The manner in which it delivers generates the spirit in which it will be carried out. Oral orders should be repeated back. (laughs) Failure to do so will most assuredly result in a grave misunderstanding. Only by long and careful training can men learn to receive, obey, and pass on orders to others. Lack of orders does not relieve a commander from acting. You must strive to, com- to maintain a complete picture of the situation so you can take suitable action in the absence of orders. It is a wise officer who refrains from criticism until he can make logical, constructive suggestions. An officer should be as good as his word. He should not make promises he cannot keep or make decisions he cannot support. Just perfect guidance on how you, how you tell people what it is you want them to do, how you give orders. The combat commander. Positive leadership. Battle appears 
to add peculiar problems to command. But when further analyzed, the problems are merely magnifications of those present in training. The great difference between combat and training is the presence of danger and confusion in combat. These two obstacles can be overcome only by positive leadership and by developing a positive and automatic reaction in the individual soldier. That's cool. It's cool that it says this, like we absolutely added confusion massive amounts of confusion into our training to simulate the we couldn't you know you can't shoot people obviously during training you can't add that element of danger but you certainly can add some freaking confusion the yeah the term i think i always use was chaos and mayhem you know like For sure like activate chaos and mayhem and your your trade instructors were awesome at doing that they were very awesome at doing that these positive traits of the commander and of the soldier are acquired during training, training in peace, training in wartime before combat, training during battle, and by mental factors not easily described. Desire to overcome the enemy, devotion to country and to organization, and personal devotion to the commander. When a disciplined unit is spurred by the mental drives mentioned, it fights not only well, but brilliantly. Those are some awesome things to strive for. The, the, the willingness to overcome the enemy, devotion to country and organization, and personal devotion to the commander. <clears throat> Battle is fought for real money and for keeps. Battles are won by teamwork, not by individuals acting alone. The only teamwork that can stand up under the confusion and constant danger, feeling of fear, and physical exhaustion is the battle of instinctive teamwork. Success in combat is due largely to endurance on the battlefield. The day after day strain of living in the dirt, of going without sleep and food, of the constant threat of death will cause men, cause the man who is physically or mentally weak to quit. Fatigue makes cowards. Men in good physical condition are the last to tire. I would I would definitely agree with that for sure. You know what though, man? I, I was just thinking about like going through the strain and stress of like I, I think I just think about the support of the team. You were talking about the bonds between teams and relationships and uh just that that attitude. You know, you talked about the respect of the commander and, and you know, obviously, you know, we always, no one ever wanted to let you down and you, Bruiser, clearly. Um, but I think understanding the mission and just, like, looking at another guy, you could be under fire in a crazy situation. And, you know, I, I look at, like, Tony, Tony be like, yeah, like, look back at you. Or, you know, even that situation I said earlier where Dave Burke and a couple other, you know, of our guys ran down to grab the pallets of water, like, interacting with you. Or when you came down, you know, for a delivery uh, you know, to, to resupply us, you know, you're just showing up for just a few minutes, checking us out, seeing how things are going. Like, and I think just the look in, in, in your eye of like, Hey, cool. How are things going down here? It's no matter what the physical strain is on you, you know, or, or what you're going through or mental strain. It's, it's, uh, I think that support of your teammates around you and like the attitude, particularly the kind of attitude of humor in, I think the midst of some really dire situations, I think was always super helpful for us. Yeah, that the um, attitude that people have, and I I would love to tell you it's leaders, but as you know full well, it's not just leaders. It can be anyone in the platoon, anyone on the team, anyone in the organization. When things are going bad and someone says, 
dude, we got this, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Someone instead of saying, oh, you know, hey, we got to roll out again. You got to be kidding me. Someone goes, good, let's bring it. You know, like that little thing. The best Freaking example. power, man. The, there it is. And the best example I can think of is we wrote about in the planning chapter of, of Extreme Ownership, which you know, me and everyone else is jocked over about the launch on that hostage rescue operation. And me and you are sitting in there and, and uh, Butters, our you know Intel ensign comes rolling in and goes, they got IDs buried in the yard and Booker machine gun positions the house. And you just looked at me and, and with this big smile on your face, like, I guess you guys are gonna get some. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I guess we are. I mean, it was, it, that's, and that attitude, instead of being like, you know, if you'd have looked at me like, oh no, yeah, do you do you think you know maybe we shouldn't go on this? You know, it was like, no, you just started. You were like smiling and laughing about it. Not look, obviously we'd planned and, and put contingencies in place. We weren't being callous about it, but it was that attitude was contagious for everybody. Uh, you know, or Mark Lee rolling out on the as the lead turret gunner. Yeah. You're like, Mark, you feel lucky tonight? Like everybody's a winner. Yeah. You know. So pay attention to that because it's real easy. It's real easy. Uh, it's real easy to let that bad attitude come out and you need to just stifle that thing. You just need to stifle it. And anybody that wants to talk to me about being transparent and showing your feelings, um, I'll say no, no. Actually, just be quiet. Just shut up. And what you need to do is you go, oh, this is going to suck. And I'll look at Leif and say, "This, you guys are going to get some. Watch this. Let's go. Br- let's go bring it. The importance of endurance on the battlefield is underlined by Grant's philosophy, the idea that in every battle there may come a moment when each side is fought out and ready to quit, and the belief that in such a moment victory will go to the side which is able to make one final effort. In the heat of a firefight, the poor commander will not be able to lead men into danger, to make them attack or keep order when he and his men are under hostile artillery fire. He won't be able to execute his plans. Instead, his men will forget teamwork and follow their own plans in fighting for survival. Therefore, you must take every opportunity to make your men confident in your ability to command and of the skill and toughness of your unit. Unit morale, the prospect of entering battle, puts every soldier under severe nervous strain. Dangers, real and imaginary, are thick around them. The commander can overcome much of this strain and strengthen the mental endurance of his men by teaching them in advance what to expect. An event foreseen and prepared for will have little harmful effect. You were talking about... uh, Grant's philosophy there, and I was thinking about um, Chamberlain at, at Gettysburg. We were just at Gettysburg for EF Battlefield, and I mean, they, you know, he and the, the 20th Maine charged, fixed bayonets and charged down the hill in Little Round Top. That was the absolute last ditch ever. They didn't have any ammo. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, you know, millimeters uh, close to to losing that battle, and that would have changed the entire tide of the battle, you know, if, if Little Round Top had been taken. So I, th- I think that's such a, phenomenal example of to me that's that default aggressive mindset of like hey okay we're going to be default aggressive to to continue this and that one last push is going to change the the entire outcome there's a famous boxing match with muhammad ali and i want to say i want to say 
I can't remember which match it was, but it is a brutal boxing match. And at one point, both fight Muhammad Ali's all beat up, and whoever he was fighting, I forget. It was it was an incredible fight, but he gets back to his corner, and he's telling his corner, "Cut him off. He's done. Cut my gloves off. I'm done." And basically, his corner's like, "You got, you know, you got to keep going." And they look over, and the other guy didn't answer the bell. So, like, that's that's where it's at. Like, if you you can give up right there, that's something to think about. You know, like, can you just go a little bit more? Can you just go a little bit more? Back to the book. In combat, you really see the critical importance of high morale and esprit de corps. Morale must be high enough to stand the shock and boredom of combat. You know, actually, before I continue here, I wanted to say this. That thing about giving people a heads up about what they're going to face, like that... You know, you're going to, like, if you, I've had fighters where they're, they got their first big, they're on the big stage. Maybe they're in the UFC for the first time or whatever. They get nervous and they don't know what that is. No one ever told them, hey, man, you're going to feel, you know, you're going to feel sick. You're going to feel butterflies. Uh, Tito Ortiz, you know, Dean used to corner Tito a lot and Tito, and they just, they just had a, uh, a uh, show about Tito versus Chuck. And one of the scenes you can see, it's Tito, he's right about to walk out and he's throwing up, just viciously throwing up. And, but I remember Dean telling me, Tito would get so nervous before fights that he would just start throwing up. But he understood what it was. Now imagine you, you're just going in your first fight and all of a sudden you start, you wanna throw up and someone just be like, hey, just go ahead and throw up, just get it out. You know, just, oh, just get it out of your system. It's the same thing in combat. You got to say, "Hey, listen, you're you're nervous. It's okay. If you're jittery, if you're if you feel sick, if you whatever, it's okay. That's just your body, you know, focusing its energy towards where it needs to be focused to. It's perfectly fine." But if you don't know that, it can be a problem. Uh, back to the book. So, morale must be high enough to stand the shock and the boredom of combat. Every man must be strong, must strongly believe that what he is doing is right. He must have supreme confidence that he can deal with any situation that he is a better fighter than the enemy. Esprit de corps is unit morale. Every man must feel that his unit is a superb fighting unit and that he, like the rest, will sacrifice even life itself for the unit. The spirit is often the difference between mediocre and superior armies. It was strong in the Roman legions and in the French troops under Napoleon. Recognize, though, that the commander must inspire beyond group esprit, only deep personal conviction springing from the identification with the cause will drive a man forward when his unit is destroyed or scattered. Personal example, the commander should be a model soldier. He must master the technique of war as it fits his assignment. He must improve and expand his technical knowledge. The commander must strive to make it possible for every soldier to say truthfully, the old man knows, the old man always knows the right thing to do. In addition, he must exhibit daily a fine example of stamina and courage. Besides his own example, the higher commander is also represented by his staff officers. They too must reflect the superior qualities of their commander. Above all, set the proper example. 
leading by example. There you go. The model soldier. Soldier's morale. Show me a unit that is well run, properly trained, and ready for combat, and I'll show you a, a unit with high morale. No commander will readily admit that his unit's morale is anything other than excellent. You know, I wrote the leadership strategy and tactics. People always ask, you know, how do I improve? Do hard things. You want to improve morale? Do hard things. As we compare units, however, it is often obvious that morale in some units is more excellent than in others. What is morale? Our manual on leadership defines morale as the mental and emotional state of the individual. Although it is a complex and intangible quality, the manifestations of its absence in a unit can be detected readily in the form of poor appearance of the individuals of the individuals and unit area, poor discipline, and a low state of training. That's something that, I mean, obviously Hackworth immediately applied that, you know, to the, the hard, from the hard luck to the hardcore For battalion. Sure. And uh, I was thinking about that with Tasking a Bruiser. It's something that we talk about often, which is, you know, the, the initially, we were working harder than everybody. You know, the people were, were working harder than, than we were preparing for scenarios that we, the guys that had been to Iraq previously, like, what, man, why are we training for this crazy multi-casual scenario? You know, that we, we didn't experience anything like that on the on the battlefield. Or when the instructors would say, hey, you guys are good to go. And we'd say, you know what, we need to do a few more runs. And there was grumbling around that. People were, people were saying, hey, we're working harder than the, you know, we're coming in early, we're staying late, we're not taking the night off and going out and drinking beers in town. We're actually planning and training and, and preparing, you know, and uh, it, it's interesting to think about how those complaints just faded away as our performance increased. And I mean, that was morale. That's that's morale increasing 100%. to say, hey, we're tasking a bruiser. Hey, why, why are we working harder than, than you know, these other taskings? Because we're tasking a bruiser, that's why. Because we strive to be better than everybody and that's what we're gonna do. And uh, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's awesome. 101, more stuff I stole from Hack. <laughs> Hackworth 101. Several adjuncts to morale. Chart three, good management. We all like to be in a unit where things run smoothly, where things are planned, where men do not have to hurry up and wait. Adequate information. Men like to be kept informed ahead of time of things that affect them or are apt to affect them. It is far better to, for the commander to keep his men informed than have the men seek to get such information from rumors. High state of training. If a unit is not well trained, its men know it. This fact shakes their confidence, especially if they anticipate the possibility of using that training in a critical situation. Chances for advancement. Progress is morale raising to all men. Knowing that advancement is possible and that excellent performance and preparation lead to promotion helps morale. Good physical and mental condition. Good physical condition goes hand in hand with good mental condition. These two elements are basic to achieving good morale. Good administration. Men like to know that their pay and accounts and individual records are correct. Confidence and equipment. Ours is the best equipment, best equipped army in the world. Confidence in commanders. Men expect their commanders to know their jobs, to share the hardships with them, and to take a personal interest in their problems. You will not know whether a particular officer or soldier has a problem until someone has heard his case. A willing ear will gain much confidence. Comfortable quarters. I'm, I'm uh, paraphrasing some of these. Mess. Good food. Mail service. Medical attention. Post-exchange facilities, leaves and passes, religious services and character guidance. 
It is especially important that an army be made up of mostly young soldiers be provided with facilities for religious services in accordance with their preferences. A program of character guidance will help to continue in the service the wholesome influence of home and community life. Awards and letters of commendation. Standards. Soldiers like to be in a sharp unit. They appreciate achievement of high standards in discipline, dress, housekeeping, police, maintenance, training, and athletics. The lift in morale that comes from impressive and well-executed military ceremonies is an important factor. That kind of reminds me of like uh, group PTs, you know, Mm -hmm. at the team. And everyone like hates group PTs, like grumbles like group group PTs. And then you get together and you do some awesome workout together. And after we're like, that's awesome. That was great. You know, um, we just got some little help from external sources that it was, we'll move on to this in a second, but we just got a little, some little help from external sources that it was Ali Frazier when that fight happened. When that fight I was talking about a little earlier happened. And it was Frazier, his Frazier's corner was basically saying, you're done. And Ali's was overtelling his corner, cut him off, I'm done. And Frazier's corner said, you can't, you, you're done. And that was it. Ali, they, Ali's corner, you know, was no, you can't cut off. You're fighting again. You're fighting more. And he decided to stick. You know, that was it. He won. For an ex, he, he held on for an extra three seconds and got the victory after a 15 round war. It was in the, or a 14 round war going into the 15th round. But I like that. Like, when I know, look, I know I'm not the most talented and gifted person in any way, shape, or form. But I know that I'm. I if someone's have if I'm having a hard time, I know someone else is too, and I know that I will answer the bell, and I know that's gonna that's gonna be a problem. It's gonna be a problem for somebody. You know that that's I think for a lot of us, it, it, like it's kind of human nature to focus on yourself, you know, and think, oh, if, if you're having a struggle, and it's, you know, it's you something you talk about whether it's you know discipline equals freedom, waking up, you know, at the the alarm early in the morning. And how it's like you're a human being. It's hard for you. It's hard for anyone to do that. But it's we kind of like to think, oh, it's it's harder for me. And mm-hmm. without the recognition of like, man, this is it's hard for everybody. And if I can push a little bit harder, it, it's going to give me the advantage. I figured that out in, in um, Hell Week for me. I wasn't the fastest runner. I wasn't the fastest swimmer. But like by like day two of Hell Week, everyone <laughs> is crushed. I was like, dude, I'm good to go. Like I, all of a sudden, I can I can hang with guys that were way faster runners than me. You know, they they were hurting more, and and uh, and it's like even the score. Yeah. So I, I think that's uh, that gives you a pretty huge advantage if you can keep grinding. Yeah. In the, the tough times. Yeah. That with that the mm-hmm. normal face. Philosophy oh, for sure. helps so much because sure. it jam like, and I'm obviously thinking about like a jujitsu situation or whatever where you're competing against someone directly, where if they're g- gassing or whatever, they're they're uh, in a state of extreme adversity. We'll say, and they interpret because just like how you're saying, Leif, how you're like, hey, we're so focused on ourselves. I'm focused on how tired I am. I don't know how tired this guy is. All I have really is his external what he's doing or, or looking like. But if the other guy's just like cruising in his face, like he's really comfortable, you're like, man, I can't compete with this at all. So now you want to give up even more. You can never like the the joke about normal face is no joke, man. It really isn't. It really, truly isn't. And you talk about you talk about, um, you know, like when how many times have you seen me like we're doing jujitsu? 
or even not you training with me, but me training with anybody, me training with Dean List, yeah. you know, training with somebody that's better than me, that's giving me a run. Have you ever seen like a look on my face of just like despair? No. So and <laughs> I and I so, and I told this story probably more than once before already on here. But there was a time where you were rolling with Dean, and you know, hey, with all due respect, he was he was kicking your ass like yeah, pretty bad too. And I was like, dang, absolutely, Jock over a kid. And you guys were going hard. That's the thing, and that's mm-hmm. the part that really like stuck with me. I'm like, man, I would be gassing right now, like hardcore. You know, how you scramble, then you scramble mm-hmm. again, you scramble again, you scramble again, and then you kind of rest of it. But you guys weren't even doing that. I was like, man. And you're getting your ass kicked, so I'm like, Jocko's in a world of hurt right now. Then he had you in Mount Double Snow Angel, Ugh. and I'm like, I would be, I was feeling literally like physically claustrophobic because of how tired I was, like empathetically getting from watching you guys and like how your arms were or whatever. I was like, man, I don't know how he he can even take that or whatever. And then you ended up sort of getting out, and the round ended, and I was looking at your face, and you're just like, kind of like that's what you do every day kind of thing. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. That's what I knew is like, oh, okay, this kid's a little bit different than the normal person, you know? You do that even when uh, probably the lowest point that I've seen you um, when Seth Stone and I came to visit you in the hospital after your neck surgery. And we went and bought you a big like Danny's Slam <laughs> burger, you know, like double cheeseburger. Like, we're going to go, let's go see Jocko. He just had his surgery. And uh, we roll up there, and you were just in, and you were like normal. I, I knew you were hurting back because you did like, like just set it down over there. Like you didn't, <laughs> but, but you were still like normal face. And, and I don't know what you looked like before we walked in there, but you definitely turned on the normal face. Yeah. When, uh, you know, and I knew you had to be in massive pain. You just coming out of neck surgery. You know, had all these these, these nerve issues, and um, they had you on a bunch of you know. Drugs yeah. and stuff, but you were even still were normal face. Well, I was freaking getting yeah. neck surgery because of Dean Lister. That's what the deal is. But it's a real thing. And and also, I mean, look, Leif, you've come to me with many times with all kinds of, uh, you know, bad th- bad news. You know, whether it's just hey, you know, whether even it's just something stupid. Like I'm thinking of some dumb stuff. Like uh, you lost some gear, right? Some let's say some critical gear, which you did, or your <laughs> platoon did, which means you did. Like, I did. Like, you know, you come to me and you go, hey, hey boss, uh, we lost this, that, and the other thing. And I go, okay, well, looks like we're gonna have to fill out some paperwork, right? Like, it's a real thing. And if I can't control my emotions because you lost a piece of gear, your platoon lost a piece of gear, like, well, how am I going to react in the future? And, and by the way, when you're saying I lost a piece of gear, like you, we're talking about, like I'm coming and telling you I lost a fifteen thousand dollar pair of like PVS fifteen mm-hmm. like night vision, goggles. which can be used by the enemy. Yeah, know, which is a big them. deal. Or we lost a uh, a Kick thirteen, which yeah. is you know uh, a cryptologic device that uh, you know that we use for radios. It's a, a cryptological device that when you lose means the entire country of America has to update their cryptological loads. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, a giant deal. And yeah. so for Jocko to just give you the normal face on that, it's actually the worst. It's like your dad telling you he's he's uh, he's not angry, he's just disappointed. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's actually the worst. Because if you were like, dude, are you kidding me? You know, like I, I would be, look, it, it, was, it would be desirable when Jocko's like, Roger, <laughs> and just looks back at you like, can't he just be angry? Doesn't it give can't, you like, an, uh, maybe it's on the other side of like your brain or something, but doesn't it give you like a big sense of comfort? Like, okay, at least this is manageable. Like it's a big deal, but at least it's manageable because like if you're already kind of freaking out for whatever reason 
and you bring it to him who's like part of the reason you're kind of apprehensive about the whole thing to say the least and he doesn't freak out so it's like it feels like in your mind you're like okay maybe this this whole chaotic situation that just emerged is kind of manageable more well i i mean look to me there's 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 definitely like it's 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 more difficult to handle a boss who's like doesn't freak out about it right when you're like because you don't want to let that boss down you you want to let that boss down you're like hey man it's like roger you know and and it's it's a um it's 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 harder it, it, it's more and but i guess to your point echo it's you're gonna i'm gonna actually fix that problem i want to make sure it doesn't happen again whether if you do if you flipped out about it and you know yelled and screamed to me then that's my punishment whereas the pun the punishment for me is knowing like it's constructive because i know like i gotta get this fixed we can't let this happen again this yeah. is a massive issue. Yeah. Hey, okay, I know we got to send out a message and tell the entire U.S. military <laughs> and, you know, Department of Defense. Send out a jackass yeah. message. Yeah, and so, you know what? I'm going to start writing the message right now. <laughs> Let me do it. Let's get yeah, some. Yeah, you know, that's that's uh, that's yeah. probably not the best example I could have picked because as I'm thinking about it, what you're saying is accurate. Like, it's it's more tormenting for me just to be like, all right, cool, Roger. You know, as opposed to being like, I can't believe you did that. Because now you can be like, oh, Jocko's such a jerk. And it's almost like, you know, we can have a little spat yeah, over yeah, it. Yeah. As opposed to me just late, uh, just saddling you with unbearable guilt for letting me down. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that, look, the, the reality is it gets the problem fixed. Yeah. It gets the problem fixed. Yeah. I mean, with it's not unbearable guilt. It's like, okay. We can't let that happen again. This is a huge deal, and we gotta get, we gotta, we gotta. I'm gonna make sure this doesn't happen again, which is gonna be better for me, gonna be better for you, gonna be better for our team, gonna be better for everybody. Rather than like, oh, I, okay, I got yelled at, you know, and and that's the end of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even like when they flip out on you or something, you're like, yeah, I messed up, but like, he didn't have to flip out on me like that, you know. So it kind of like not justifies, but it kind of lessens. It gives, the, yeah, it gives you. It gives you a cause, right? Yeah, Dude, Leif, Leif freaking just lost his mind with me on that. You yeah. know what I mean? And you go back to the platoon, you go, "Dude, Jocko just totally freaked out. He's freaking out about this." That guy turns a mountain into a molehill every yeah, time, yeah, yeah. right? All of a sudden, it's me against you. Yeah, 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 and then it turns into me against your platoon. So it's just all bad. One thing I will say about normal face, and I could say this because anybody that knows me knows that I'm probably the worst. <laughs> One of them, yeah. The worst normal face guy ever. Like it is a real struggle for me uh, to, to like maintain normal face. <laughs> it's it's funny because I I mean you yes it is not a strength of yours but you are better now because man back in the day it was just like I would be looking at you going. Oh, this is my face be is getting red. <laughs> just turning <laughs> red, just clenching your teeth. I'd be like, "Oh, Jack, Lave's getting spun up. This ought to be good." I'd, I'd be thinking, like, "Please, please, don't say anything until the boss leaves or whatever. I, I, I'll handle it, dude. You don't have to say anything." And uh, yeah, that would be good. But what I was gonna say is, this is a great example of discipline equals freedom, right? And your kids, well, we know, I mean, I've known them since they all were super little, and watched them growing up, and you have. Help them, you know, train them in that, like, like help. They're, you're practicing that. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you got to practice. It's something you have to, you can get better with reps. Even if you're not naturally good at it, like me, you can definitely get better 
with with reps. And and so I, I've improved. I got a long way to go still. Um, but I think you got to be thinking about it all the time. And that's you know we've talked about it on, the, on the podcast years ago when I was here. Like you're the chaos at home. I got young kids at home. That's a great example to like accept that as like a. Okay, I'm not going to spin up. This is a good chance to practice normal face right now. Mm-hmm. When I'm upset or I'm, I'm frustrated, we're not getting out the door for the road trip or whatever it is that we all get. I get spun up about all the time, and it's a. If you accept that as like a training opportunity, then you're when when you actually need to use normal face, you will actually be much better at doing it. Bro, you you mentioned like training and the kids and stuff. The whole reason it's called normal face is because it's an actual game that With this kids, guy yeah. plays played whatever yeah. with the kids with the it's like a what is it, the wrapping paper the wrapping you know, the cardboard leftover from the wrapping paper the the tube i've right? witnessed the normal you, face you, you don't have to explain oh that. damn okay but you know, right. i did it to one <laughs> we had a guy that showed up in ramadi a new guy <laughs> who's a great dude but he showed up and he's a happy guy yeah and he had a and he would smile all the time right uh, we're talking private pile, you know? And so I'd look at him and go, hey, you, need, you can't be walking around like smiling like that. You're a freaking team guy. You need to represent. We we are to ask you to bruiser, not task unit freaking smiley. So I played normal face with that guy. You know who I'm talking about? I do. Oh, okay. I yeah. So. And it was so funny because, I mean, I was laughing so hard because he could not even come close to not smiling. And the more I did it and the harder I hit him, the harder I was laughing. He was laughing. It was pretty funny. One one normal face game I'm thinking about was um, was uh, your oldest daughter mm-hmm. uh, when she was probably, probably seven maybe. Mm-hmm. And we were at your house and uh, on the pull-up bar in the garage. Do you remember that? No. And you're like – Get up there and show Leif how many pull-ups you can do. You know, so she gets up, she cranks out some pull-ups, like awesome. And then, you know, she, maybe she wasn't even seven because she was way off the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, you like lifted her up there to get there on the yeah. full-size pull-up bar. Freaking so short. she's like four feet off the ground. And uh, and you were like, and you're like, I will not catch you. As she's hanging on the bar, like, I will not catch you. She's like, Dad, Dad. You're like, I, and meanwhile, you're, your hands are like right there ready to catch her. Yeah, yeah, but she can't see him. And I was just like, and, and but you know what? She actually was like, you you could see up initially. She was like, dad, dad, and then then she was like, she just went like normal face. And, I was like, <laughs> and then she dropped off. You caught her. It was like, yeah. Well, you also like, have to train your kids to deal with just unknown terror. Falling, breaking broken bones. <laughs> Oh, sorry, kids. <laughs> That's the way it that goes. She turned out all right. Okay. She's great. She's outstanding. Uh, yeah, I. You know, it's, it's a learning process. You know, you you learn you learn about you know you learn about controlling your emotions. Life. I've learned a lot about parenting. I feel like uh, with the kids practicing or taking opportunities to practice normal face, one hundred percent of the time is a good method it's a good method and it is a great thing like no joke it is a great thing for a leader to be able to control your emotions because your emotions we already talked about this if i'm panicking if Leif reports to me some news and i panic he's gonna panic everyone's gonna panic it's gonna be mayhem yeah if he sees me go all right all right got it you know it's like okay you know i've had like at the muster you know the muster's uh there's there's timelines and there's you got to be at a certain place at a certain time you know and I've had Jamie come up to me you know the so and so we don't have any of that stuff yet it's like okay and you can see that she's 
kind of panicked about it. You know, we don't have the labels for the whatever to pass out stuff. And I go, okay, well, we'll pass them out tomorrow. And she's like, okay, you know, just like, it's all good. But that that's an awesome thing, man, and that's powerful. I mean, you, you and I were just talking about this today, right, with some, some uh, with echelon front stuff and, and, uh, and our strategic growth and, and, and things that I was really spinning up about and, and really stressing on. You're like, it's not that big of a deal. You know, and the, the, that is... That's something that is uh, that perspective. You know, when someone's immersed, when someone is immersed in the details of things, and they're like, it's the weights bearing down on them. They're like, man, this isn't going to happen. It's really easy to get stressed out about that. So, it's it's a powerful thing, man. Yeah, Yeah. that also you know falls into uh, some implied intent, right? Of me and leaving you with the impression that something needs to be perfect because, well, you know me, like, hey, I I like things to be squared away. And then all of a sudden you got something that's not squared away and you start trying to fix this problem and it's, you're investing more than it's worth into the problem. And it's because I am giving you the wrong implied intent that, hey, you know what? If it's that much investment, I don't want you to make that much investment of time into something that's really not gonna have a massive impact strategically. So. Like I gotta do a better job of going, oh, you know, let me know if something's a struggle. Where where have I done this before? Um, like, hey, if it's gonna cost, this would be really cool to have. It'd be really cool if we executed this. But if we can't, don't worry about it. You know, don't invest more than X amount of hours. Hey, go look at it for two hours. If we can't do it, you know, we won't do it, no factor. It'd be cool if we can, but let's not, Let's not lose sleep over it. Whereas, you know, it's like, uh, once again, going back to Gettysburg, what I need to remember is if if General Lee tells Stonewall Jackson to do something, he's gonna freaking do it. And he doesn't care what price he has to pay to accomplish that mission. Well, if I if I mention to you like, hey, this would be cool to have, and you're like, cool. And now, now all of a sudden you're paying the ultimate price to <laughs> make something happen. And you look up, you know, f- three weeks later and you've spent money and time and, and it's like, you're like, I, I got it done or no, or maybe we can't execute what your vision was. It's like, oh, okay, cool, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's like, mm, that's not a good normal phase, you know? It's a little bit too much, so uh, yeah, it happens. The final thing I'll say about normal phase is um, I love that my kids now have been influenced. I'll be like, we call it Jocko normal phase. So when you, when you say, you know, I, we pretty much brand everything as Jocko around here, so we're good with I that. I say execute Jocko normal face, and they, they're like be smiling for a picture, and they're like, boom. It's on cue, it's awesome. I, my one-year-old, not so much yet, but my four-year-old and six-year-old, they get some. That's legit, that's legit. Um, all right, back to the book. Chart number four, evidence of morale. So we were on this whole thing talking about morale, and this is evidence of morale. In discussing the subject of morale with visitors, I often ask and am asked, what do you look for in a unit or in order to gauge the morale? Since morale is influenced by so many factors, there are naturally many indications of the state of morale. The things I note quickly in sizing up a unit include, I'm gonna burn through some of these, saluting, dress, good housekeeping, pride, Pride, I'll go into that one a little bit. Are the men eager to show their accomplishments? Do they point to their unit's history with pride? Do they have something good to sell and try and sell it? Participating in charities, athletic program and supported teams, an athletic program enthusiastically supported is always a favorable indication of morale. Church attendance, soldiers' deposits and other savings. 
A man who saves his money each month is banking on his future and is, well, and is usually a well-adjusted and confident soldier. When there are many such soldiers in a unit, there is a depth of stability in the organization, but commanders should not attempt to coerce the men to participate in this program. Um, you know, just for, for, for all leaders, really, this is probably one of the things when I look back at my military career that I did a pretty horrible job of, and that was that I never said, all right, guys, here's what you should do with your money. Here's some, here's some moves to make. You know, here's some things that you should do. Here's some things that you shouldn't do. So just if you're a leader, especially if you're a military leader, look, when you're a, mili- when you're an, a lot of kids that join the military, myself included, hey, when I got to the teams, and I was an E4 in the teams, I was the richest person in the world. <laughs> and you know, I got that paycheck every two weeks and I was ready to rock and make roll. It, make it, it rain. Oh, it was great. And you know, I really wish somebody along the way would have said, hey man, that's cool. You know, you're gonna make whatever, $5,000 this month. You know what, I know you like to get after it and, and go have a good time and you should. And you should do that with $4,000, not with (laughs) $4,999. So if you're in a position where you can help people plan their economic future, please do that. You know what? It's funny that you're actually saying that because you you of all the people I worked with in 13 years in the Navy, like you're the only one that did that. And maybe not on like a, on like a, you you didn't like have a presentation to the entire task unit. You know, maybe you could have done something I like that. I absolutely should have. But you had a lot of direct interaction with a whole lot of people and, and helped direct them and, you know, or, or influence or, or encourage them to do something, you know, uh, go in the right direction. Yeah, I think to your point, I think guys that were close to me, I would be like, hey, bro, what you need to do is this. And so that's cool. But, it, you know, I should have been doing it for everybody and I didn't. And the reason is I didn't really care about that stuff. Honestly, I didn't really think about it. I didn't really think about that. I just thought about, hey, we, we just want to be good frogmen and a good task unit and a good platoon. You know, like that's it. That's what we're here for. So I should have been thinking a little bit deeper about that. But if you're in that position, do it. Enlistment and reenlistment records, AWOL. When such offenses are reasonably easy to commit and the number of offenses is low, it is indicative of high morale. Uh, size of sick call, court martial rates, incidents and accidents, complaints about the inspector general. <laughs> uh, this is another classic thing, right? So complaints to the inspector general. Oh, sorry, this is in- complaints to the inspector general. Later in the book, Leif, he talks about how you should be open and ready to being inspected. Like if you, everyone hates inspections and doesn't want the commander to come down, and he says you should be waiting for that. And it's very similar to our attitude in Ramadi, which which I absolutely stole from the XO of the first of the five oh sixth. Or sorry, the yeah, the XO of the first of the five or the ops officer from the first of the five oh sixth, um, who as soon as we got there there was an investigation happening and he and I was like, Yeah, what do you get investigated for? And he goes, Oh, this, that, and the other thing and or this thing. And uh, I said, Oh, does, is that how's that gonna work out? And he goes, I love it when we get inspected. He goes, I want them to come and inspect and see what we're doing and see what it's like down here and see what it's like to live down here and let them understand what's going on in the front lines. And I, I absolutely adopted that policy. And 
what's cool is what he says in this book is, you know, you why are you afraid of being inspected? You shouldn't have nothing to hide. So if you're if you're afraid of being inspected, that's a problem. And let's fix the thing so that you can be open to being inspected. You know, we we talked about that in extreme ownership, right? Leading up the chain of command and how we invited our commander to to come down and see what we're doing and, and invite our operations officer and the, their staff to be there. But that's it's a complete opposite though of what everybody else Oh yeah. Yeah, everybody else's mindset was like get the boss man away. We don't want him around here. We want to be able to and, and and what they wanted to be able to get away with was like really minuscule stuff, right? Like uniforms around the camp, Worthless. like attendance at meetings, little things that don't really matter. And and yet, what we gained by having them come out and visit us was a, a yeah. deep understanding of our mission, how we were mitigating risk, what resources we needed. Um, I mean, it's 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 a no brainer, and yet nobody does that because they don't want the the scrutiny of the big boss man, mm-hmm. the wrong attitude. Next section, outside influence on morale. The factors and indications of morale covered so far concern things generally within the control of the commander, but there are influences on the morale of the soldiers, especially those on duty in a far-off land, which stem from attitudes of officials, the press, radio commentators, and public at home. The soldier should feel that he is needed and that his sacrifices are the of immediate and long-range benefit to his country, his home, his family, and himself. He should feel that his unit is, in, is as important to him as his family, that he is just as important to the unit. He will feel that importance as long as the people at home feel it. He is sensitive to public opinion at home and because of good radio, newspaper, and mail facilities, is constantly aware of attitudes at the home toward the importance of his job. That's an interesting perspective compared to <laughs> totally all. You know, if, if we were reading newspapers and watching TV, you know, the particularly in 2006, the Iraq War, it was just constant negative coverage, quagmire. We can't win. You know, this is terrible. Uh, we just had to tune that stuff out. Yeah, and it's it's even more pronounced now with social media. Uh, did we do we have social media? Was there social media for us in in, I mean, in Ramadi? It was like MySpace, and actually, I do remember Mark Lee used to always come back and get on Facebook. And, so it and, existed. And, yeah, Facebook existed, but it was not. It, I think it, it, it like MySpace was still like the dominant. Uh, um, Two thousand six Echo. Where were we at social media wise? Two thousand six. Yeah, Life is correct. Yes. Just kicking it it's with like MySpace the, between MySpace and I Facebook. thought MySpace was like a music something. Yeah, you could put music. So, so, on your so, MySpace field. was legit social media back then. Yes, and before that too. And before that, yeah, two thousand seven. You said two thousand six. What year yeah, did six. what year did Facebook come to prominence? Oh, I I don't know the exact year, but that's when, you know, when it was it was rolling. It was for rolling. sure. But MySpace was still going on as well. But there was a lot less people on all these things. You know what yes. I mean? I mean now oh, it's yeah. now it's the. Now it, it it has replaced it's immediately. pre iPhone, yeah. so you, you couldn't access it with your phone. You yeah. could only access it through the you know your your computer. Yeah. yeah, that was like barely like right when pictures to the internet mm-hmm. started going. Mm-hmm. Like like not all phones had cameras and stuff like that. So, bottom line, we got to pay attention to the influence on morale from outside our organization. Sure. Pay attention to it. This next section. <clears throat> is called Junior Officers Conferences. And and 
It says, there are always many newly commissioned officers, fine officers in the Army. They have come from many sources. Some of these young officers have demonstrated outstanding ability in combat. Others have not had this experience. Few of them have had the time or opportunity to become fully indoctrinated with the duties and responsibilities required of an officer. The standards and responsibilities of an officer are, in many respects, more exacting and more difficult to discharge in peacetime than in combat. Consequently, officers' conferences should be conducted for all junior officers to review the duties and responsibilities of officers. So what, what, am I, what am I saying? What he's saying is that, look, you should meet with your, your subordinate leadership and educate them and teach them. And I, I often ask this question to clients. I say, has anyone here had a person that invested in them personally? And you know, most of the time, especially when I'm talking to leaders, most of the time people will raise their hand and say, you know, oh yeah, you know, I've had I had this person that took me under their wing, or and I, and I then I say, well, how does that? How did that make you feel? And obviously, everyone says, oh yeah, that makes you feel great. It makes you feel like you can do well, and it's a person that's encouraging you. And then I say, how many people are you doing that for right now? And like, there's less hands, right? And so we take this investment of the people that raised you, like the people that raised me in the teams, right? What if I take that investment, I just hold on to it and don't give it to anybody else? That's horrible. And it's not continuing to grow the capabilities of the community. There's, there's, there's something deeper there that I, I when he, he said, roles and responsibilities. So you're reviewing roles and responsibilities with them. And I think that's something that, you know, you, the Jocko brief that you would give in like the junior officer training course when I was running training for two years, I ran training for all SEAL officers who are graduating from our, our basic training pipeline. And you came in, we'd have you come in and give the Jocko brief. And it was the same thing that you briefed to uh, the, the task units and, and platoons going through the workup. And I think one of the most important parts of that was the rules and responsibilities. Yep. So I, it's great to mentor. But I mean, you're right. People don't invest in their people. I agree with that 100%. But I think a lot of people don't know how to mentor people. And what he's saying there, I think, which is if you've got to make their roles and responsibilities clear and you broke down, I mean, it was, it was, it was uh, shooter, you know, yep. your job is to make things happen, you know, uh, get default aggressive. You, you have, you have it listed out all the way at fire team leader, you know, take your four guys, lead your fire team, support your squad leader. You had the squad leader. Then you had the platoon commanders you had the assault chief. You had the, uh, you know, assault force commander, the ground force commander, et cetera. And that was a really powerful document so much so that I've had several, um, several uh, very successful SEALs, uh, including good friends of yours who have reached out to me and said, uh, hey, can we get a copy of that? Yeah, yeah. yeah because I, it really, it, it, without breaking that down, enables you to execute with confidence. If, if you know what your roles and responsibilities are, then you can actually step up and execute with confidence. And I think that's a, a really, people don't define that. The, you define it in a way where it was easy to understand mm -hmm. and enable people to execute. And, and I think that's a great, that's a key thing to, to mentor people on. Uh, one of the key parts of that, when I would get done talking about what the roles and responsibilities of everyone was, I would say, okay, now that you know your roles and responsibility, you also have to understand the person below you and the pe person above you of the chain of command. You have to understand what their roles and responsibilities are. And if you have to, you have to either ascend or descend into the situation where you can solve a problem and do their job. As soon as you get a problem solved, you can't get stuck there. You have to elevate yourself up to the next position. The last thing that I would start saying to guys once they were done with Jotsi, now I'm talking to platoons, is I would say, 
listen. And I would usually say this just to like the head shed. I would say, listen, here's the roles and responsibilities. I don't actually care who does these things, but you better figure it out. Because sometimes you might have a platoon chief that hadn't been in the teams for a few years and he had some platoon commander that had just gotten back off deployment or you'd have uh, whatever the case may be. Maybe the LPO just got done teaching assaults out at, you know, at Tradet and now he's in the platoon or just got back from land warfare so he's gonna really know how to do that job. So I'd say, listen, it doesn't really matter which one you have. Now I'll tell you, basically, and this is what I always say, basically, enlisted guys, you're the tactical experts, you handle the problem that you got at hand. Officers, you need to figure out what the next move is gonna be. And that, that was the general thing. But then I'd say, listen, if this officer like doesn't have any experience whatsoever, and maybe the LPO is kind of badass, and the chief is, I'd say, listen, listen, officer, uh, you need to look to your chief, and he needs to elevate a little bit and figure out what's gonna do next. So, and that well, the reason that happened was because as I put more and more platoons through training, I saw that some platoons, they just didn't, they, they had a mismatch. They had some prior enlisted officer that was freaking just a badass and knew everything, or they had a, a, a chief that was, you know, been out of the loop for a while. And so, okay, but the LP, like I said, so eventually I would say, listen, I don't really care how you guys break these up, but you have to know who's responsible for what. And one man cannot do all these jobs. It's, it's not possible for one man to do all these jobs. I've seen some badass SEALs with tons of experience come through here, and they might be able to pull it off for an op or two ops, and then something's gonna happen, and all of a sudden, it's gonna be overwhelmed, and other people have to be able to back them up. Not to mention, if somebody's doing all these jobs, I'm gonna kill them, <laughs> and, and you better figure it out. I, I remember the don't get stuck there in yep. all caps. <laughs> don't the get stuck the, there. The slide. Uh, okay, so the reason I wanted to cover this section is because it says this. So we're talking about these junior officer conferences. These conferences should be conducted by commanders themselves and on an informal basis. Lieutenants in separate companies and detachments may be invited to join groups from units commanded by a field grade officer. Groups should not be too large. Preaching should be avoided. I read this whole section just so I could say that. Preaching should be avoided. These conferences can well can well be the means of improving the unit team under the coaching of its captain, the unit commander. These conferences may consist of one hour meetings. He goes he goes into some detail about how to do it. But the fact that he's saying, look, you're not bringing people in there to preach on how to do things. You're bringing in there to educate, to have discussions. And he's got the whole topic of discussions here, military courtesies, personal standards, military discipline, promotions, unit history, esprit de corps, accomplishments, missions. Uh, troop information, morale, self-education of the officers, professional publications, responsibility for, fun. I mean, he's got everything, security classification, use and misuse of military vehicles. So he, basically it's like, tell the guys what's going on. That's what he's saying. You have to tell people what's going on. And then he's got this. Commander's checklist for success. And this, we've been, already been going for a while, so this will probably be the last thing we cover. Every commander at every echelon should maintain a continuing checklist to be left for or given to his successor to command. 
This checklist should contain items of value that will assist the new commander in becoming familiar with his command more rapidly than if he had had to uncover the same items over a period of time. Such items must consist of, one, significant strengths and weaknesses of key officers and non-commissioned officers in the command. Boom. Isn't it weird that we might be in charge of people and know that we would have to turn this over and not keep track of like who's, what strength and weaknesses are? Next, important policy matters announced by senior commanders and not contained in SOP or directives. So you're tracking this stuff. A good turnover is the is such an important thing to to do. And what I think is important about a turnover, it's great to have it to turn over to the next unit, but what it does is it forces you to actually think through how you are operating. And when you force yourself to think through how you're operating, you define it, you refine it, you codify it, and now it becomes stronger. Just like when you just like when you write down these principles, just like when you formulate a standard operating procedure and you, just like when you teach a jujitsu move or you write out how you do, anytime that you study what you're doing, you will get better at it. And that's what this commander's checklist for successors, I said successor, it's for successors, it's for someone that's gonna take your place. That You know what, part of that too, I think is, yeah, that self-analysis you're talking about is like, hey, what did we screw up? What did we learn from it? I remember uh, giving a turnover one time uh, on a follow-on deployment, and and when the new unit came in, uh, the the new seal seal unit taking over for for us, and and one of the one of the senior leaders was like, you, "This is a great turnover, you know, you guys are given here. I, really, this is one of the best tours I've ever seen." I'm like, "Why? Like, why did you say that?" I, I kind of caught me off guard. I was like, well, "Why do you, why do you say that?" He's like, "Because you're telling us all the stuff that you screwed up," <laughs> and and it was it's it's really you know when you have a unit turning over, thinking like. People are coming in like, get these idiots out of here. We're going to yeah. take take over, even though we've been there for six months learning. And I was like, man, how, how are you going to learn from us to continue the mission and be more effective if we don't tell you what we screwed up? But clearly, he, he wasn't used to that, and most people weren't doing that. And um, I, I think that thinking deeply about it, and if you care about the mission, then you want you want the people to be successful. I mean, we tried to set up the next SEAL team. For sure. You know, Steve Ward and his guys, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Steve Ward, he's going to be coming on the podcast sometime real soon. Uh, Names and personalities of individuals outside the command with whom it is necessary to associate and do business. Areas of training weaknesses within the command. So reporting the weaknesses like you just talked about. Disciplinary matters, security matters, critical equipment shortages. So that's that's that section. And here's the last thing we'll cover. Vigilance. And by the way, we're we are on page thirteen right now. <laughs> so, yeah, we are on page thirteen of this book. There's 117 pages. We're on page thirteen. A unit operational readiness status status must be ready for immediate employment at all times, regardless of how well a unit has been trained. The commander cannot allow it to become lax and let down its guard. World War II and the Korean conflict were started by surprise attacks on Sunday mornings. These surprises remind us that we must be ready for anything seven days a week, 24 hours a day. We cannot relax our vigilance in any way that would contribute to disaster.
So there you go. Like I said, that is the first 13 pages I'm of only, this document. I'm only two-thirds of the way through my second oh, just uh, getting Sour warmed Apple up. Sniper. Just getting warmed here. up. Look, I, I'll get to the rest of this. I'm sure I'll, I'll cover this thing. Um, but it's just incredible to see how these principles remain the same over time. And it's so intriguing to uncover the roots of Hackworth and About Face and thereby the roots of me and of you and of extreme ownership and the dichotomy of leadership and leadership strategy and tactics. There's a thread you can trace through all these books. You gotta know your roots. And the better, the better you understand, yes, history, but the better you understand the origin of ideas and principles, then the better you understand those ideas and principles themselves. And the better leader and person you will become. Crazy. What do you think, Leif? I think that's outstanding. I think that's uh, incredibly eye-opening. And um, it's because I've read about face in detail and, and you know, I'm, I was flipping through my copy this week, uh, as I was kind of organizing stuff in my, my home office and looking at just the ta- you know the uh, tabbed and underlined pages, and the I actually had to I put packing tape along the binder mm-hmm. because it's been so just um, it's been so oh, from overuse it's just been torn up and and I had to reinforce it. Um, it's awesome to to understand where Colonel Hackworth got some of these ideas uh, and and I, look I'm sure. You know, I'm sure also, uh, you know, that uh, these were learned from For from sure. mentors, you know, and, and from generations uh, as well. But uh, incredible stuff, definitely. <clears throat> Making us better. Yes, sir. Echo Charles. Yes. Speaking of getting better. Mm-hmm. You, you have any maybe, I don't know, suggestions sure. on have, how we can get better? I have a few now that you mention it. Actually, I think that's uh, interesting, Your that book. Mm-hmm. That you finally located. Mm-hmm. It was like a little treasure hunt. You know the kind of guys who like they look for treasure that might not even exist. You know that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. That that was you. So you're like, oh, it doesn't exist. See, what I'm saying you only got hints of it through Hackworth. I have I have access to all kinds of like I pay, you know these various websites that offer all these ancient PDFs. I mean I got yeah. the most the, the, the dumbest subscriptions and I've been scouring these things for years. Yep. Nothing, nada. And how crazy is it that the month that this version of About Face comes out, I freaking find this thing. There's one copy of it on Amazon and I have it. It was meant to be. I have it. It's legit. Jocko got his treasure. I have the ARC. Yes. Which is the advanced reader's copy. Of so, what, that book? So an advanced reader's copy. No, I don't have it of that book. But an advanced reader's copy, when a, when a book is going to come out, they release, they'll print like, they'll print, how many how many ARCs do you think they print in current days? Uh, I have no idea. Hundred. Well, 100,000? No, no, no. Advanced reader copies. Uh, what do they call yeah. them? Galleys. Oh, I got like, you. I'm sorry. Yeah. How many do you think they print? Like, like for instance, 12, for, for extreme 25. ownership, I think I got six and you got six. Yeah. Like that. And then they printed some to send to whoever. But we're talking... Absolutely, a few dozen yeah, absolutely yeah. less than 50, right? Less than 50. So 
we were at the muster and a guy named Tobin came up and he goes, I have something for you. And he gives me like a brown paper bag. <laughs> and this is just oh, weird because yeah. it's hard to even understand this. It's, if you don't understand what an ARC is and understand how rare they are, that, you know, look, you get an, like, I love first editions, like I love first edition of About Face, but there's gotta be 100,000 of those things floating around, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you might like the first edition of Extreme Ownership, you know, we always joke about it, but there's hundreds of thousands of copies of the first edition of Extreme Ownership. There's only probably less than 50 ARCs of Extreme Ownership. And same with the rest of all of our books. Well, so I'm at the muster and this guy comes up to me and he goes, yeah, I wanted to give you something. And I go, oh, awesome, appreciate it. And people give us a lot of cool stuff all the time, you know? And he hands me this paper bag and I open it up and there's a plastic, but there's a book in plastic, just a plastic bag. I pull it out and I look at it and it's in a version of about face that I've never seen before. And it's thinner than normal. And I go, what is this? And I pull it out of the plastic and sure enough, it's an unedited advanced reader's copy of About Face signed by David Hackworth. (laughs) This thing is priceless to me, right? Uh, So he's out there. I actually owe him copies of About Face, uh, of this new version, but guess what else I'm sending him? Lay it on me. ARCs of Extreme Ownership. Because they gave us about six each I have all of mine. I have mine as well. You want to know why? Why do you have yours? Why did you keep yours? Uh, I, I think I, some of them I intended to send to people and, and they didn't get sent. And some of them I just thought would be kind of cool to get, hang on to. You know? I only kept, I, first of all, I didn't know that it was a big deal. I didn't know that this is this whole thing, you know, we didn't know what the hell we were doing when it came to writing. So we didn't know what the hell we were doing. So they send us these things and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Well, I didn't, they're like, you could send them to, you know, the influencers that you know. Yeah. Well, I'm like, and so what I'm thinking is there's misspellings in this. There's some things that we edited out. I said, I don't want anyone to see this. And I just put them right in my, I put them in, you know, in like a drawer somewhere. And then, I don't know, a few years later, I started as I actually, as we started doing the podcast, and I started getting more into getting various books, and I always liked the first edition thing, but then I realized at some point that there was something better than the first edition, and that was the reader's yeah, ARC. So I, got, I got something better than the reader's ARC, <laughs> and that is the, uh, the Word document manuscript. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which we got, we've got the edit, all the edits, yeah. like just the crazy edits that we went through. You, well, that, that was crazy too, because we, you, were you in New York? Yeah, you were in New York when we wrote Extreme Ownership, and we had to edit that thing. And I remember spending four hours on the phone going through final edits. We'd be like, all right, page, page 64. Hey, you said this, what do you think? And you'd be like, oh, yeah, we need to change. You know, so we would just sit there and manually go through for hours on the phone, these stupid edits, you know? And what's what's interesting is, and we were talking about this the other day, there was one of the last edits that we did, we kind of got out the freaking, the clenched fist of editing and just started <laughs> cutting stuff, you know? We started getting rid of stuff. That was pretty, that was pretty cool. You know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, I, I think particularly if you think about decades from now and what that might be like, a friend of mine showed me you know, obviously that stuff becomes quite valuable to collectors and the people that know 
you know, it's meaningful to people that it has, uh, that understand the value of what it is and how rare it is. And uh, a friend of mine had showed me a copy of, of a, it was a biography of Stonewall Jackson. And he was like, he handed it to me. It was kind of, I was old and kind of brittle. I felt like it was going to fall apart. I opened it up and it's this G Patton. Dang. It was, it was Patton's personal copy, totally annotated, like noted, like all the notes and the margins. Uh, you know, something that General Patton went through and, and, and noted. It was pretty, pretty awesome. That is awesome. I have all the books that I've covered in the podcast with all the tabs and notes and red lines and highlights and everything. And it's freaking cool to sit there and go back because I'll go back and look at a book that I already, you know, I already covered on the podcast. I'm like, I didn't even come close to getting like everything out of this that I need to get out of this, you know, with the old breed, especially the early podcasts where we would not, they weren't as long. Mm-hmm. And and now I look at, I go, man, I'd go, we could dig right back into that thing, mm-hmm. right back into that thing. You did, you did, speaking of Pat, you did Wars I Knew It as well, which I gave you that copy. You gave me that yeah. copy, yeah. It's signed by Leif Babin. <laughs> <laughs> not by General Patton. I not quite a, as valuable. I have a yeah. copy yeah. of Wars I Knew It, and it is signed by Leif Babin. And I am damn proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointing. Yeah, well, you posted the copy that I originally gave you of About Face the other day, and you know, it had my, uh, my, you, cause you made me sign it. You were like, Hey bro, you need to sign this. And I was kind of like, whatever, what, like, are you whatever. what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> I was like, bro, you give somebody a book, you need to sign the book and I'll put a date in it. You know? Yeah. I'd never give presents to anyone. And so, or gifts of any kind. And I'd, I, I'd never given anything to anybody really. Have I ever given you anything echo books? Oh yeah. So I, yeah, I've given you some books. I just gave you the, I just gave you about face. Yeah. All right, so anyways, but when you asked me, I was kind of, I don't come from the background of giving things. <laughs> in, in, the, in, the, in the, on the, the scale of gift givers, like Jocko is, if, you know, if yeah. 10 is greatest, one is the least, um, Jocko is like .02. Jamie, cover and move, Cochran, sent like my, sent my oldest daughter flowers for her birthday, whatever, a year ago or something like that, from me. And my daughter did not even remotely believe it for one second. Yeah. She was like, who did you get to send me flowers? And I was like, uh, uh, oh, Jamie. <laughs> I can't lie. Can't lie to my daughter. Uh, so there you go. Pretty cool. So yeah, I did sign your book. And, and then we just, we just re, we reenacted the signing of the book. And I put the same thing. So there you go. All right. Echo Charles. Speaking yes, of getting better. Yes. You said, oh, then you, you started asking us questions. Do you have any more questions? No. For the crew here? No, no, no. That was more of my, that was my takeaway. That's how I was regarding this book the whole time. Like that's your little treasure that you found mm-hmm. finally after your journey. You know. I wonder what's going to happen now. Like once this comes out, is is Stackpole Books going to reissue it, or is Jocko Publishing? Somebody's going to dig their like grandfather's copy out, and uh, there's going to be nine of them on the internet. I'll for buy them. Seven hundred fifty bucks each. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll buy them. Do you know how much a uh, uh, old hardcover copy of About Faces? Like they were on, uh, they were on Amazon the other day. You now you can buy it. They were two hundred bucks. Yeah, oh, I saw two hundred bucks. I have twenty copies. <laughs> 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 All right, there we go. Yeah. Okay. All right. Getting better. Right. We're on the path. Okay. We're getting better, even if we're good. By the way, like you know, what do you call? We're maintaining vigilance. Yes, big time for sure. 
Um, but anyway, on the on our road of improvement for improvement is what we're doing. Okay, we're working out every day. All right, Leif, not to put you too much on the on the spot, but you work out every day. I try to. Okay, so that was my answer too. Which you know that that's a non-answer, by the way, because <laughs> there's varying levels of try. Not to say that that's um, you know. I, I, I'm not yeah, listen. That's what you're uh, the the goal is work out every day. Um, sometimes I achieve that on a you know on a weekly basis. Cool, I knocked it out. Other times, you not know, so like life gets in the way. But uh, every uh, every the days that I miss workouts, it's. It's deeply regretful, and when you don't do that, it's it's a problem. Yeah, you know? and and I actually you got to kind of be honest. Where, where if that's the goal, like for real goal, you know, to work out every day, that is a good thing, as opposed to you know, like hey, I'm going to try to work out this week. You know, there's a difference, is what I'm saying. So hey, man. Well, there's good. a big difference between I'm going to try and work out every day and I'm going to work out every day. Yes, sir. Yeah, and then if you want to talk about just keeping it real yeah, over sure. here, yeah, and as far as better and worse goes, for sure, for sure. Anyway, so when we work out every single day, oh, is this or, a conversation we're gonna have with Leif and not Jocko? <laughs> is that what's happening? Because that's what I'm feeling. I think it's I think it's wildly unnecessary to have it with you at this right, time. Jack. You know, I'd rather Go tell ahead, you proceed. how your joints will jam you up if you let them. I'm not gonna talk too much about this right now. I don't even we think appreciate you that. I don't think we should. Anyway, I don't think we should even think about it that much right? it, at all. Joints should be a thing you don't think about. You see what I'm saying? Good point. I see where you're going with this, and I like it. Yeah. What should we be thinking about? Gains, obviously. Yes. Yes. So let the joints just be joints. You see what I'm saying? Anyway, so if the joints are uh, monopolizing your attention, here's what you do. Boom. Jocko Fuel Joint Warfare. These are for your joints. For sure. Super Creole Oil for your joints. I, I take Other both things. every day, for sure. Every day, right? You all know right. what? Actually... I, I I had I had an eye surgery recently and so I had to stop taking it for a little bit and like I know it. it what's crazy about those is when you stop taking them, like you, why'd they stop take why'd you why'd they tell you to stop they, taking them? They, they didn't actually tell me to, but like I, I just you know, I just uh I just didn't take them for like three or four days, you know? Oh, because you were like laid up and whatever. Not really laid up, but just just like I I, I, I got out you of it. You were off your routine. I was off my routine. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh and it was it was like I, I feel it. I yeah. definitely feel it. What and uh, and there's, it's, uh, it, it ain't just the, <laughs> it, it, it's real. It it's really real. is, man. You feel the joints, uh, and and I think both both Carillo and Joint Warfare are, are awesome. Definitely. Yeah, and then it just keeps you kind of boom on the path in that way. So boom, yeah. Don't worry about joints anymore. You don't have to. Is what I'm saying. Anyway, another thing you don't want to be worrying about is getting sick, because that's one of those things. Let's face it. We're not every day like fighting. To boost our immune system or something like this. Maybe we are. Maybe not. Consciously. I know I am. Not consciously. Okay. So when you wake, I can wake see this up, it's going to be rough. Oh uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Well, you brought it up. You brought it up. You brought it up, Jocko. So at four a.m. Whenever you wake up, are you like, okay, let me get this immune boosting scenario cracking right it's now? It's part of my routine. It's consciously part of your routine. It's consciously part of my routine. Right. I have my supplements lined up. When I go in to brush my teeth okay. in Do- the morning, doesn't count. I do what I'm supposed to do. Totally doesn't count. When so. I go in to brush my teeth at night, I do what I'm supposed to do. That includes both brushing my teeth, taking my supplementation, and flossing, which I never flossed until I joined the Navy. They told me to floss. I started flossing. All right, cool. Do you, cool. Do you take supplements pre-workout? Yes. Yeah, me too. Yep. What are you taking? I take three Super Krill, three Joint Warfare, and vitamin D. Oh, like for the pre-workout, you mean? Like for oh, the no, workout? No, 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 yeah. no it's, but I, it's different. Yeah. 
Not for the workout. No, but, but prior to. Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Like, yeah. is that when you take them rather than do you take something before the workout for the workout? That's yeah, two well, different I'm, questions. I'll, I'll slam some discipline go, use yeah. it before the workout. Oh, okay. But yeah. I definitely, uh, yeah, usually the... No, it's, it's it's good. I just I, I just was curious. Yeah, I I do. I take it every morning. It's part of my routine, and then in, at night. And we had this whole. I, I do not want to talk about this right now. But Echo did not have a routine, and therefore he would miss. Yes. Just like you just said, Leif. You got out of your routine, yeah. and you miss. Like that's a real thing. Set up a routine. Follow it. Yeah, and that's and the then thing. vary it sometimes to make sure they're. Terrorists aren't tracking you. All good. <laughs> Side note, yeah, good idea. Yeah. And when you Very fall routine. out of the routine, workout or taking the, you know, the supplements, supplementation, as we like to say, um, that can sort of become the routine. You see what I'm saying? Or part of it. It is. Not even thinking about it. All right. Well, anyway, back to the immune system thing. So technically, you're just like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and take this stuff so I don't have to worry about my immune system kind of thing. You're not consciously. Look, I'm not splitting hairs Mm -hmm. here, but it's significant. It's it's significant. It's what I think. Anyway, immune system, my ultimate point with that is you don't have to worry about that either. No. Vitamin D3. And cold from war. Jocko Fuel. And Cold War. Boom. The, the combo. Now you're really not worrying about it. Anyway. Also, after you're done not worrying about these things you don't have to worry about, <laughs> now let's start with the conscious stuff. Okay, we got discipline. Right? Good. Really good. Helps you think. I would say think. But here's what I noticed about this. About discipline. Where it's one of those ones where, you know how like when you go somewhere, like you always want to have a little drink going. Mm-hmm. Whether it be water or mm-hmm. whatever. I think this is the best thing for that. I agree. Maybe not before we go to bed or whatever, but yeah, technically that's it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I saw you pound that. I by just the crushed. Way. I watched you. I just crushed two of these, dude. Yeah. This is my new. Th- you were notably smarter this entire podcast. <laughs> I noticed it. <laughs> yes, but you, what, yes. are you saying the bar wasn't very high? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I gotta say, I am not a sour apple sour apple guy. Like, I, I if I was a kid eating Jolly Ranchers, like I would leave the sour apples there mm. unlike jp to know uh sour apple sniper is legit yeah that is, it's, it's awesome uh my family actually is all over the map uh i mean don't get me wrong dak savage oh is dak savage your go-to dak savage has been my go-to for a while but uh uh but sour apple sniper is uh is awesome and uh i gotta give i gotta give jp credit for that's legit awesome yeah those i'm kind of with your family on that one where here's the th- what i found and this might be the case for all this that's the only reason i'm mentioning it so remember yeah when it first came out i was like man this is the best one a little mm-hmm. bit better than jocko palmer what straight up yeah, nope yeah. so Wait, that's what i, I, I hear thought. a lot of that and you know what's funny is people like say it to me like you're off in either one of two ways one is like you know, I kind of like the sour apple sniper. Like they, they kind of yeah, ashamed yeah, to tell me. Yeah, yeah. And then the other one's like, sour apple sniper's way better. Yeah, yeah. That's what you get. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I did find out there's like a deeper game within the game. It was, it was probably better. <laughs> it was probably better because it was new, straight up. Oh. Because I, I kept pounding them. Sweet. Yeah. Here, and I'll tell you I, something else. Just, just to, just to, uh, people might be thinking about this. I want to drink this stuff all day long. Yeah. Uh, I want to drink Jocko Palmer. I want to drink it all day long. But it does have caffeine in it, 95 milligrams of caffeine. So I don't want to drink seven Discipline Goes. So we are making a Discipline Go type drink that doesn't have any caffeine. But 
and it's uh, it's gonna be a ginger ale flavor, a ginger flavor. And I've already approved the taste of it. Oh dang. And okay. it's really it's it's really good. And what's cool about it is it's it's on the sweet side. I have to admit, the sna- sour apple sniper kind of started making me like that yeah, started yeah. leaning me a little uh-huh. bit more sweetness. So the ginger is it's it's nice sweet but here's what makes me think about it is that night you know you get done with eating your tomahawk steak sure and you have a little sweet tooth but you're too full for a mulk because let's face it we could go just straight to mulk get your dessert on but you're a little bit full the tomahawk was bigger than normal but you want to have a little a little sweetness yeah crack it open boom there you go decaf yeah decaf so we're working it okay good well there it is there's also discipline powder by the way Leif, you mentioned pre-workout that's my go-to pre-workout too the discipline powder with water most of the time we actually were talking about this like that i the the discipline powder is awesome what yeah. flavor do you like lemon lime dang interesting is the, legit because jocko palmer powder yeah. is freaking legit the it, other day it was super it hot good. here in socal it is good for sure and i made I I mixed up a pitcher like you do in like they do in the like they do in <laughs> Texas, bro. A big glass pitcher. I filled it up with ice, put the Jocko Palmer in there, and it was a huge amount. And I just drank that thing all day. It was freaking awesome. So get your Jocko Palmer on. Oh yeah, agree. By My recommendation. Get also, some milk on. you know, milk. you know what? What's cool about that? I think with the powders, you can you can dilute a little bit. Right. You know, so you can right. you can you can have the entire. And you pitcher. know, I have a problem. Oh, good. Like many Americans. The problem that many Americans, myself included, have is simply stated, more is better. <laughs> so, so I like mix these things. What's these things called, Echo? These uh, these glass things. Travel these, mugs. No. Wait, what do you mean the glass? Tumbler. Things? A tumbler. tumbler. So I get these tumblers, and you know, let's face it, you only need two scoops of discipline into one of these tumblers. Well, in your case, but two of these I will tumblers, no doubt yeah, put yeah. I will no doubt okay. put four scoops in there. More is better, <laughs> and it doesn't need it. But you know, you just think oh, I might as well just get that extra little later. Yeah, man. I know it's going to be a good time at the muster when we've got a tumbler up there on the stage <laughs> mixed up, and you get you're you're drinking at the bottom of it. You're just uh, getting all powder. Pure. <laughs> Let's get some. Pure We're about to some. fire this thing up. Pure, get some. Yeah, that's you know okay. Let's just talk about that for one second. Okay, the early musters where we were disorganized on the back end. We 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 had a lot of stuff to learn, and so we would sleep not at all. I remember the New York muster. We slept a one hour one night, if that. And the next night we got like an hour and forty five minutes. And everyone says you're cognitive. If you sleep less than five hours, it's like you're drunk. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? Yes. If you sleep less than five hours, it's like you're drunk. You're a hazard to humanity. Meanwhile, you and I are, are up on stage for seven straight hours that day answering questions. You know, people are coming at us with all kinds of leadership problems. And I didn't hear you up there going, I'll tell you what, you son of a bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> how, how do they come up with that? Who's the scientist that says, uh, like, well, you're drunk if you've slept uh, less than, you know, and look, I'm not trying to get crazy here. And, you know, for everyone that freaks out about this, in Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual, I explain sleep is necessary. I get it. Uh, it's good for you. It's healthy. I tell everyone, get as much sleep as you can. I'm totally down for the cause. Sleep. It's great. Mm-hmm. 
But to go and say, hey, if you don't get eight hours, you're a drunk. You're you're an equivalent of being drunk <laughs> well, and on well, acid. Think about in Ramadi, man. We're launching on, on Cop Falcon. You know, we're going into South Central Ramadi. Neither you or I had slept at all. Yeah, we were up. For, we've been up for 24 hours at yeah. that point, and we're launching on an operation where we're going to be out on the battlefield for 48 hours. So it's like, what do you do? Like you, you just power through. Like <laughs> BTF. You just BTF. There's, I mean. You know, when we when we got into position and I got security set, like I tried to take her down for an hour, you know, just to try to get a get some shut eye while yeah. I could, while it was dark, before the sun came up, we knew we were going to get it on as we got attacked. But you, life requires that you're going to have some sleepless nights yeah. and you got to be able to get some. And uh, and you can get some more if you have some little bit of discipline on a little bit of discipline. Go had whatever. We, have we had some discipline go on uh, the cop Falcon op? would have been that much better. I think Ramadi would have been secured a lot quicker. <laughs> I uh, I think the drunk reference comparison was like when you're driving. Yeah, okay, so now if they take, oh, the number of accidents that happen from people that are drunk to the number of people that fall asleep at the wheel. Okay, cool, got it. In a way. Yeah, and, I got it. In, no. a, in a way, Understood. being like t- overly tired driving could, then again, I don't know. Could be worse. Everybody's different. Because people be worse. fall asleep at the wheel. Because yeah, you can't control it. You get to a point where you can control it. Like being drunk, because it's, you know, let's face it. Sometimes when people are, are drunk behind the wheel, they get like more daring and aggressive. So they'll, you know, it's less that like, oh, they're drunk and they uh, uh, drift and oh, crash. You're saying it's their attitude more than their they're motor speeding, skills. They're speeding, they're, yeah, this. And then but sure, a lot of times you can't react as fast. But you're but talking about lack of sleep. So it's kind of like leaving Nylon at, uh, at like, Two o'clock in the morning yep. for the Red Bull run. Yep. And had we had some discipline go back then, obviously we'd be that much better. We would have been no sugar. Away. <laughs> we'd have been good to go. Yep. So hey, you know, and uh, right. again, not to split hairs, but mm-hmm. you know, these things sometimes, you know, you add a little nuance, little explanation, they start to make more sense. Yep. What I, was what I think. Is what All I right. believe. What, what else we got? Jocko okay. White Tea, Warrior oh. Kid, Mulk, Mulk. What else? Anything else? But bunch of cool yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, you can get them at originmain.com. You can also get them at the vitamin shop. Mm-hmm. And yes. you can get them at a little place called Wawa in Florida and the Virginia area. And by the way, if you're in those areas, go get some. Yeah. Go it, into a Wawa, clean it out. Yeah. It's a different situation. <laughs> like I mentioned before, is it? Because look, online, even if you got to go, I mean, vitamin shop's not as convenient storage like they're mm. not everywhere or whatever but it's a different situation you got to go on there you got to make it a point to stock up and all this stuff Brad. now you can just grab one on the go it's way different here's what the here's what the folks at wawa are wondering who wants this stuff should they should they put it in every store in america that's what they're wondering yeah. or every store that they have if you want to you can support the cause just clean them out <laughs> let them know we want yes we want it is in demand. It is in demand. As far as that goes. All right. Also, yes. Okay. You you mentioned originmain.com. That's where you get the, can get Jocko fuel, which is all of this stuff. Also at originmain.com is jujitsu stuff, geese, rash guards, some shirts on there. And also, of course, jeans and boots, mm-hmm. American made. Delta denim is back in the game, by the way. If you're waiting on Delta jeans, they're back. And we got more denim. So we're good. Very good. I also, got, I got my Lincoln boots getting broken in right now. Nice. They're legit. Nice. What do you mean Lincoln boots? That's, that's, what, what, that's, that's the, the one with the toe cap. Oh, that's, a, that's, yeah. that's the model. Did you did you request the toe cap or did you just get it from Pete? He just sent you what he wants. Yeah. Pete, you got to watch out, dude. Pete is sneaky. Pete tries to 
tries to impose his will on you. <laughs> like I, I was like, no, I don't want the toe cap. I don't, you know, I was like, yeah, don't, don't give me the Lincolns, just give me the regular ones. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what shows up at my house? The regular ones and a pair of Lincolns. Yep. And I'm like, bro, yep. he does, he does these little sneaky things, and he thinks he's getting one over on you. That's the thing, <laughs> Pete. We're tracking, bro. We are tracking. He likes to do that. I like the toe cap. It's good. Oh, oh, here's another thing he did to me. I said, hey, bro, I wear white geese. I wear white geese. So you know, this was pretty early into the whole thing merger, and he's like, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. What does he send me? And I said, you know what? In a stretch, maybe a black gee. Why is that, by the way? Tradition. It's the tradition. It's the tradition. The first gee he sends me, no shit, it's blue. The only (laughs) color I said, hey, look, just don't send me a blue gee because I I wear a white gee. Maybe. I get it, black. You know what the you know what the most popular color gi, gi is in the like just at origin. Oh, it, which means yes in the world. <laughs> black. Yeah, it's black. Yeah. Which which to me, white was the tradition. That's what we do. We keep it tradition. But let's face it. What's the facts? The facts is everybody wants to be a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. They're having yeah. a little. Yeah, makes sense. For me, I want to be uh, Charles Bronson in the movie The Mechanic. They're, they're wearing white geese, okay. and that's what I always refer back to in my yeah, life. Some of my training partners and uh, instructors, I've uh, I've sent them as a gift, uh, a Origin Rift gi, and the we are, I think we're six for six for black. Yeah, the yeah. black rifts. Yeah. Did you request white? Uh, no, no. I, I said, tell me what you want. Oh, okay. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. There you said, go. Send me a black one. Yeah. Well, that's that means a lot coming from Todd White. Right, because he's an artist. He <laughs> understands the color palette. Yeah, you know what true. I'm saying. He's down there thinking, "What will look good?" The uh, I gotta say though, on the for the riffs, we've got uh, we've also got six out of six like outstanding reviews as well. The rift is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of junk, not the gi, but the situation because you know a lot of us we have more than just the one gi. You know, so you do the riff. Now all those other geese sort of seem yeah, obsolete a yeah, little bit. Yeah. You know, like you don't want to put that dumb yeah. thing back on the old ones. You know, <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, that's just how it's but like Pete, the new iPhone. When you get the new iPhone, you're kind of like, well, this is a well. It happened with the iPhone, uh, not the six, the eleven. <laughs> no, seriously, the the iPhone six. You're like, oh, you know, it's okay, and the yeah. battery would run out, and the pictures sucked, and all this stuff. I was. With I was with Joe Rogan like last year, and we were yeah. we were taking pictures of the sunset oh, while right. we were hunting. Yeah. Yeah. His picture looked freaking. He had an iPhone 11. It looked brilliant, filled with colors. It looked like a freaking National Geographic picture because we were taking a picture of the sunset. So you could see like the mountains, and then there yeah. was the horizon, and then there was the sky, all beautiful colors. My picture just looked like black on the bottom and white on top. <laughs> and I and I just said, I'm an idiot. They call that dynamic range. Yeah. So oh, what, okay. what you're saying is you don't realize that you don't realize how good something can be until you actually try out the new one. And I, and I think uh, it like tasking a bruiser. I was like, I thought we were pretty good in my first tasking it until we were in bruiser. And like, actually, we weren't that good. <laughs> tasking bruiser's better. And the rift is definitely like that. Yeah. You roll and you're like, okay, I'm not rolling anything yeah, else. It's kind of it's kind of a game changer. But Pete, I don't think he's sneaky. I think well, he's sneaky, no, but I think he's you. like smart. He, in that way, because look, no, this no, what no, it, no, I was no, with no, you with the gi difference. thing. Big difference. I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I agree with you. There's a difference. So the 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 gi, right? So 
I wasn't down for the other color geese either. All I had was white for a reason, bro. Like I'm like, because you're one of my black belts. One of the people, yeah, I, yeah. It was true, <laughs> but here's what Pete was thinking. This is my uh, hypothesis. He was like, look, I get it. They like the white geese. That's the tradition. Can't argue with that. But they just haven't felt the the power, the pleasure of mm-hmm. the black geese. They just, if I can get them to somehow feel what yeah. I'm feeling about this, okay. So he'll give you a free I one. You'll be like, saying. I can't wear this thing, and you put it on. You're like. Feel like Maybe a ninja. I can. Maybe I am thing. a ninja after exactly all. Right, Pete is successful. Boom, did that yeah. with, with the boots Pete for you. Gets, Pete gets uh, some level of credit for his sneakiness, but just so you know, Pete Roberts, listening to this, I'm I'm seeing your moves, bro. Yes, sir. I'm seeing <laughs> your moves. You're not getting anything by me. I get it. Yep. Keep it up, Pete. Yeah. Keep it up. Yes, hundred percent. Also, what do we have? Oh, okay, Jocko has a store. It's called Jocko Store. We got some new stuff on there. By the way, hoodies are back in. By the way, that was a big item. Yeah, look at this. For winter time. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. Do you so, know the last last season? You know when we got sweatshirts? May. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, you know, yeah. Well, we're trying to uh, you know tighten things up a little bit. You know what I'm pretty stoked about at the Jocko store is the board shorts. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah, those kind of are coming for fall, winter, too, which is kind of offbeat. But, hey, man, hey. hey look, we're, we're happy. It's a process. Look, look, I've been asking for them for three and a half years, so yes, I'm glad we're... I'm glad they're there. There we go. Yep, exactly right. Yeah, they're pretty good. They run a little bit loose, though, the board shorts. A little bit loose. They that's, run. That's good. That's good for me. Yep. Yep. Oh, there you yep. go. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't. You got to squeeze the tree trunk legs into. Uh, you can't be doing the skinny jeans, skinny board shorts. Yeah. Doesn't work. Yeah, that's that you know, is you a good give point. Yourself Thank a little you. bit of room. Um, yeah, and some uh, stuff on there uh, coming up, too, mm. as well. So if also we have an email list on there, if you want to sign up to get notified, what do you call notifications for new stuff? What you didn't know the word notification. Is that what just happened? No, I was about to say like, (laughs) if you want a notify, you know how you use the wrong word for the the wrong context. Anyway, I was just, what do you call dotting my I's, crossing my T's. You see what I'm saying? Like it. Unless, um, jockostore.com, you want to represent while you're on this path, that's where you do it. Also, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already on your uh, i uh, iTunes and wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah. This is not the only podcast we have, by the way. We also have Jocko Unraveling, which I do with Daryl Cooper, Martyr Made Fame. Sure. Of Martyr Made Fame. There you go, Daryl. Uh, Grounded Podcast, which is about Jiu-Jitsu Warrior Kid Podcast. We got some... A little bit of time. I'm gonna squeeze in some grounded, some Warrior Kid podcasts in the near future. Uh, we got a YouTube channel, and if you want to subject yourself to videos where Echo Charles has complete creative control to make everything blow up, everything catch on fire, then you can check it out. And the only, and if as long as it's a video less than five minutes, there may be cool stuff. If it's a long video that actually would be nice to see some. Effects in, they won't be there. No. Okay. Anyway, yes, and you can see what life looks like if you're not, um, or if you're intrigued by his Texas Batman um, persona, voice-wise. Good Is that times. Pro- appropriate way to put it? We got something called Psychological Warfare. It's an album with tracks that I talk to you about overcoming your moments of weakness. You can get that on any MP3 platform out there in the world. Mm-hmm. It was the number one selling spoken word album for 11 months on iTunes. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. 
it makes sense because it's not just artistically uh, good or whatever. It's effective functionally. Yeah. How many saying? spoken word albums are there? A ton is the question. A ton. Yeah, there's thousands. I, I will say this. There's something in the universe where sometimes, you know how you're like, if your Bluetooth's on your phone, it just randomly syncs up with your car. And like at my kind of darkest or lowest moments, like it seems to like sync up and just <laughs> randomly select. And it's Jocko's voice, hey, and it's bro. usually at max volume. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. 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 You have that moment of weakness creeping in, or you're probably heading to the donut shop when you're, that thing comes on. Uh, also, Flipside Canvas, my brother Dakota Meyer. Flipsidecanvas.com. He's making graphic representations of the path and other basically cool stuff. I know you just we got we some coming to the office. Badass stuff coming from Flipside. Which one's you guys? Uh, we've got uh, we've got good check, and uh, we've got this one equals freedom. We got all kinds of we got default aggressive. We're just going hot, um, and uh, we've got uh, a bunch of posters as well of the muster and of Echelon Front. You know, impacting with troopers. You mean you didn't awesome. you didn't get a poster that had like an outstretched hand on the cliff and another hand going to it, and it says underneath. Teamwork. <laughs> you know those posters, like the freaking. Uh, you mean like the, the, the poster posters, with the wolf howling, and it says yeah, yeah. leadership on it. Yeah, those posters. Uh, at Flipside Canvas, we do not sell those posters. We sell posters that are that can only be described with one word: legit. So there the, you go. the posters are legit, and Dakota and Mandy on the team are awesome. Awesome to work with. We got some books about face. First edition with the forward by me, which is just freaking an honor to be able to do. We got the code, the evaluation, the protocol, leadership strategy and tactics, field manual, warrior kid, way of the warrior kid one, two, and three. By the way, way of the warrior kid four. You can pre-order it right now. It's called Way of the Warrior. Do you know what the name of the new Way of the Warrior Kid is? You might know. Yes. Do you know what it is? I do not. It's called Way of the Warrior Kid 4 Field Manual. <laughs> Premises, uh, the last day of school. You know, Mark's been having some hard years, but this, but now he's kind of getting dialed in. Last day of school, kid comes up to him and says, hey, you know, I've never really talked to you before. And I, I noticed, you know, you wear that warrior kid. I see you doing t- pull-ups with your friends. And this kind of kid's kind of shy, and he says, I really wanted to be a warrior kid like you, and now it's too late because I'm moving away. And I, you know, I just, I wish I could have hung out with you. And so Uncle Jake shows up, and, and Mark tells Uncle Jake about this and says, you know, hey, this, I feel really bad. This kid's moving away. He wanted to be a warrior kid. He was too shy to say anything. And he just, you know, wanted me to help him, but I don't know what I could do. And Uncle Jake says, I know what you can do. Write him a field manual on how to be a warrior kid. So there you go. And uh, it's the same, let's say, shape and size as the Discipline Equals Freedom field manual. Mm -hmm. You may notice some similarities when it comes to the layout. Just the layout of the cover. It's funny. John Bozak, the artist, the designer. Whenever I say like a good idea, he, he always says, I think you might be on to something there. Mm-hmm. So I was explaining the cover. Mm-hmm. Like, Boy, your kid's in Belair. And he goes, I think you might be on to something there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, Way of the Warrior Kid 4 is available. Mike and the Dragons. 
which has been described as the greatest children's book ever written. I, that's what I've heard. Sure. I mean, I'm not, look, I wrote it. I don't want to, you know, be out of line here, but it apparently a lot of people think, <laughs> a lot of saying. people think, yep. a lot of people think. And the discipline equals freedom field manual. Oh, by the way, there's a new version of that coming out. You know what it's called? Mark one mod one. Do you know what that means? Kind of. Yeah. Some cameras are like that. So you go mark one, mark yep. two, mark three. So this is the first modification to the original discipline equals freedom field manual. There's a bunch of new pages in there wrote about a bunch of new things so you can check that out and then of course there's a little book called extreme ownership that i wrote with my brother leif babin and the follow-up to that book which is called the dichotomy of leadership the things that we heard us talking about today if you want to see how to take those things and apply them to what you're doing in life whether it's your business whether it's your first responder whatever you're doing Whatever you're doing, if you're interacting with other human beings, get to the source. Extreme ownership and the dichotomy of leadership. Echelon Front. What, what's up with Echelon Front, Leif? What do you got? Got a lot going on with Echelon Front. Working with leaders all the time. Uh, you know, and as we talked about, it's just been phenomenal to watch them, particularly through these tough times of, you know, some, some economic uh, turmoil through COVID lockdowns and, and unrest across riots across America, et cetera. Like, it, it's been... Uh, it's been awesome to see companies take and apply those principles. And uh, so we've got got some great stuff going on at Echelon Front. I think particularly for EF Online, our, our, it, we have, we have uh, redesigned that thanks to the great Echo Charles, who put some mastery behind that uh, for our, uh, our, our landing page and design and setup. And uh, we've streamlined the process of login on that thing. And we've got troopers from, I think, I, I'm 40, glad you get the great Echo Charles. I seem to end up with the average Echo Charles over here. <laughs> I think we're reckon. reckon uh, are you, I think we are you happy with that, with that? Is that a good joke? Oh, you like that? Cool. I think we have forty-six countries uh, around the world represented. Yeah, right yeah. Now EF, EF Online. What we're doing is we're look. Our goal, our mission at Echelon Front is to teach the leadership lessons that we learned on the battlefield that we translate into everyday business, everyday life. How to lead? How to lead up and down the chain of command? It doesn't matter if you're. It doesn't matter if you're the the, the CEO or a frontline person that's not in charge of anyone. When you are interacting with other human beings, you are in a leadership position. You can, you can do things to improve the mission. You can do things that will improve your station in life. Go to EFonline.com. We got courses about this stuff. We do live training all the time. If you want to ask me a question, if you want to ask Leif a question about something he said today, go on there. Go to EFonline.com for that. We are standing by to help spread the word. We have the muster. The muster is, there's only one this year due to COVID. And there is going to be in Dallas, Texas, December 3rd and 4th. I just did a gig and you know, there's 500 people there. There's social distancing happening. So it's gonna be something like that. Um, We'll take precautions, but the muster's on. Yeah, and, the muster's and on. We are super excited to to meet with troopers. It's, it's been such a bummer to have to have cancel two of them. Yeah, uh, but I'm really excited to have this one here in December, in Dallas. It'll Here's awesome. another another bummer is that since we canceled the other two, most people at the other two transferred their tickets to this one, which means it's gonna sell out like they always do. So if you want to come, just try and register early. It's extremeownership.com. And we also have EF Overwatch. 
from day one, we've had people asking us, hey, where can we get people that understand these leadership principles? Eventually, we started this company, EF Overwatch. Go to efoverwatch.com. We got Mike Sorelli at the helm. If you heard him on Podcast 244, him and George Randall, they they geek out about hiring and, and getting people into companies, taking leaders, military leaders that understand these principles, train in these principles, and then show up at companies and help you lead your company to victory. Go to go to efoverwatch.com. And if you wanna help service members, active service members, retired service members, their families, gold star families around the world, then you can check out Mark Lee's mom. She has an, a charity organization, Mama Lee. If you want to donate or get involved, then you can go check out americasmightywarriors.org. And if you're a masochist, if you like pain and you just want more of my discordant declarations, or if you want more punishment in the form of echoes, disoriented diatribes, or you wanna get some more of Leif's prolonged proclamations, then you can find us on the interwebs. Leif is on Twitter, at Leif Babin. He's on Instagram, which Echo will only refer to as the gram, at Real Leif Babin, and he's on Facebook at Leif Babin. And of course, Echo is at Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink. And thanks to General Bruce Clark for your service to our great nation, for your leadership and guidance that continues to have an impact today. And thanks to all of our service men and women who are out there leading and also having an impact in the world by protecting our freedom. And of course, to police and law enforcement and firefighters and paramedics and EMTs and dispatchers and correctional officers and border patrol and secret service and all other first responders, thank you for protecting and keeping us safe here at home. And to everyone else out there, remember these lessons from General Clark. Remember that the commander must be a model soldier. He must master the technique of war. He must expand and improve his knowledge. He must exhibit daily stamina and courage. And above all, he must set the example. And you set the example every day by going out there and getting after it. And until next time, this is Leif and Echo and Jocko. Out.